Hey, this is Adam Green, the director of the Hatchet franchise, Frozen, Digging Up the Marrow, and the TV series Holliston. You are listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. the 13th and welcome to horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about pig-headed horror movies <laughs> well some of us are we have a bi-weekly show that's released every other friday and this is episode 144 this is a themed episode and it was my turn to choose the topic and so if you hate this it is all my fault, Jay of the Dead, but our topic is pig-headed horror movies, and you might wonder, what the hell is a pig-headed horror movie? Basically, what I'm referring to there is horror movies where the killer wears a pig head or a pig mask. So you get a pig head on a human body, and this weirdo is killing people. That's precisely what it means. So on horror movie podcast, though, you're going to hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations that help you decide whether to buy, rent or avoid these movies. And for example, in this particular episode, we're going to do feature reviews at the end of Ghost Stories and A Quiet Place. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are Dave, Dr. Shark Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh and Jay. Squeal like a pig. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that you referenced Deliverance, Ned Beatty, because that, that's been on my mind a lot. Thank you. <laughs> Good stuff. Well done. Okay, so the f- first things first, guys. Can I just tell you real quick the scariest thing that happened to me today as we record this? I got a call right as I was like wrapping up work from my wife. And uh, apparently like she and my two kids were in a pretty bad car accident. Luckily, they weren't hurt. So it was a real blessing. But our car was totaled and I was scared to death. So that was like real life horror for me. And when I got there to the scene and saw this car completely destroyed, I just about died. But praise the Lord. They're okay and they're protected and they were fine. And that was a real blessing. Wow. So that was pretty oh my scary. Gosh, dude, that's the call that's you hate. To, that's uh, that's the call you dread. I mean, that's uh, that's. I'm glad everything turned out. Yeah. So I mean, I'm grateful to be here. I'm. You can't believe how happy I am to be on this show tonight because, like, I'm very excited about this theme. I'm very excited He's about. Happy that he didn't have to cancel. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. And, and like, wow. honestly, like, there was a little bit of um, <laughs> unspoken pressure, maybe because that was a traumatic experience for them. But my wife has known all day how excited i am about this and um (laughs) all day yeah the first thing i did when i got up this morning is i'm like guess what (laughs) tonight is our pig-headed horror movies themed episode (laughs) and she's like and you know what she said word for word she's like josh is right that's a dumb idea like (laughs) it was so funny so 
Anyway, I think they knew that I wasn't going to cancel tonight, even though they probably wanted me to, and maybe I should have, but I'm excited to be here to talk about pig-headed horror movies, and guys, I'm excited to talk about A Quiet Place, so this is like, I'm just elated and full of gratitude, and thank you both for being here. I'm really grateful to you guys, too. So, Dave, real quick. (laughs) I have a real fast question for you. At the moment, when I last checked, dvdinfatuation.com, I just, I gotta, this is just fascinating to me. I see you have three, we have three films to go before you hit your yeah. 2,500. Three more to go. I've And what it is, is I've got them planned out because I'm starting to try to do some other things uh, mixed in. Um, I've been putting all this pressure on myself, as you know, to, to get this completed. I have circled a day on the calendar. And, and it is in April where I'm going to um, post the final one, but I've spaced them out to sort of correspond to days off now, and I'm going to take them one at a time. So it's almost going to be like one a week now until I get to 2,500, just so I can start moving in and, and doing some other things. And and it's allowed me, Jay, to, to see many of the pig-headed horror films <laughs> Uh, that, that we'll be discussing tonight, and and yes. I want to thank you for that. Oh because yeah. Now that uh, this was this is a recent development for me, all this free time, and and to have spent that free time watching <laughs> pig-headed horror, <laughs> I can't tell you what, what a blessing it's been. Oh, I'm so happy. We just made my day. So before we jump, because I got Josh has some disclaimer and hashtag information here for people, which I'm really excited to hear about. But before we jump into that, I just got to explain something about a tweet that I put out today. You notice I was doing a little tweet that was promoting the episode and it has like this very friendly looking pig. This is a weird, it's the universe is meant to deliver this episode, Joshua, because my daughter had no idea that we were doing this episode. And she's little, she's seven. But for whatever reason, she brought home this pig that she colored. And it was basically just the pig's head. And um, she colored it this week. And it was just amazing to me. I just, I saw it as a sign. And so I took a picture of that to promote the episode. <laughs> so the theme, uh, as we've stated, and then we'll get to Josh's disclaimer. We're going to talk about where uh, killers wear pig masks or real pig heads. This isn't really about killer pig movies although we'll reference those in our theme discussion. But I want to specifically focus on movies where a pig head is on a human body. And we're going to talk about how or why or when did this become a thing, and if it's scary to us, and if so, why. Okay, so Josh, tell us your disclaimer, please. Oh, just that I just think this is a terrible idea for an episode. <laughs> that's not that's not really my disclaimer. I just, you know, we we've had actually quite a bit of behind the scenes tension about this episode, and I'm not trying to be a killjoy about it. I want to support <laughs> that we're doing it at this stage. I truthfully just haven't seen any of the movies, and yeah, it was. I had a busy week anyway. It was a struggle to want to sit down and watch any of the ones on the list. I thought, well, maybe when this list comes in, I'll change my mind. You know, when Jay his recommendations, and as I started looking at these films, I was just like, oh. I was, I was going to oh. say, I'm, I, I don't, I'm guessing that they didn't sway you too much. No. Yeah. No. Okay. No, no. I mean, I did watch, I did watch an episode of American Horror Story, which I quite liked, and that's a series that I've been meaning to get around to, you know, binging, and so that actually helped in that regard. It made me feel like watching the show. So that's great. Um, but here's the main thing, Jay. You know, I feel like what we do on the show is for me kind of meaningful and and i think we talk about 
the types of horror films that I think a lot of other horror podcasts don't. And so we got this tweet this week that to me perfectly epitomized why I was kind of down on an episode like this. This is, this is from Marcin Krolik. He is a, um, par- pardon the pronunciation on that Marcin. Um, he's a Polish listener and he sent us a couple of very nice tweets. And one of them said, um, you make me believe the horror can be meaningful and can say something crucial about the world around us. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's just hilarious to me that this is the podcast we're releasing days after he sent us that message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very, uh, very I, I noticed I noticed that same thing. I, did, I didn't make that same connection that you did, Josh, to be honest with you, but you're absolutely right. It would have been funny you put, yeah, there was one episode. They actually talked about pigs all, uh, all day. I, I, you know, it's not that there's not a place for this kind of discussion. You right. know, and obviously, I just feel like this to me is on the base end of, of <laughs> or my fear, I guess, about this po- this episode is that it's on the the baser end of what horror is all about. And I feel like we, at least I, tr- I want to celebrate the great things about horror, the mm-hmm. things about horror that make classy directors and actors want to work in a genre that has a lot to say about the world. And, um, and so honestly, the, and when you first tweeted this or when you first, sorry, texted us mm-hmm. that this is the episode <laughs> you wanted to do after the weird episode, I 100% thought you were joking. I thought you were like, <laughs> I'll be, I'll I thought, be honest, uh, yeah, I sent him, him an email saying, Oh yeah, there are a lot of them. I thought I was joining in on the joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. Think I thought that, um, that if it wasn't a joke, it was maybe like a way to get back uh, at me for trying to be too snooty by doing the weird episode. <laughs> and like, all right, you want to do your silly academic episode though? I'm going to do pig headed horror next. And as I talk to you, you at least have not given in on that at all. You're like, no, this is just the topic that interests me. And I, <laughs> I just thought, well, Okay, yeah. let's, let's do it. So I just want to apologize to those. Are, I know there are some of our listeners who who think that, um, that what we should be doing on the show is elevating horror. I believe in Jay, and I believe that if he wants to do this, there's a reason he wants to do it. Mm-hmm. I, for the life of me, cannot figure out what it is, but we're all going to find out together in the next couple minutes. So yes, yeah, so the theme discussion is I, that was what I was anticipating. I was saying, boy, let's see if we can have a theme discussion about this. That's what I really wanted to say. Right. Well, um, and that was kind of my initial concern with it is when we talk about our themed episodes, they cover a horror theme. The siege narrative is a theme. Mm-hmm. The infected narrative is a theme. Pig headed is, <laughs> is a prop or a, or a wardrobe choice at best. I mean, I don't know that that's a, I don't know if that, that's a theme necessarily. So I, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm not sure where this is going. I worry that someday I'm going to run for public office and this episode is going to be dragged out. as a reason why I'm unfit. Among I, can't, I can't wait to see what image you come up with the button uh, on the right, Ooh. Josh. For the pig-headed yeah. uh, horror. Oh yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I believe in Josh for that. But but no, yeah. thank thank you, Josh. I mean, I am so grateful and and happy that you you were willing to like do this. And and the thing is, 
just so the listeners, in case there are listeners that don't, maybe, maybe everybody understands perfectly where you're coming from, Josh, but in case they do, my understanding of where you're coming from, Josh, is what if if I happen to pitch an episode on here that would be like, hey, let's do a horror episode called Boobs and Blood, right? Because then that would feel like, okay, like, right? So that might be... Um, yeah, this felt along those lines to me. Okay, okay. So yeah, just so and everybody knows. And it's not because it's, you know, here's the thing. I thought, well, here's the theme would be, you know, horror killer masks. And then a portion of that, we could talk about pig heads. But then there's like, <laughs> to me, that sounds like a theme. Like it's, it mm-hmm. sounds like, okay, there's a, there's a theme of the mask in the horror movie. That's a, that's a convention that you know, I'm sure other horror podcasts have talked about that ad nauseum, but we've never discussed it. And so I that's thought, okay, there's a theme. Let's talk about pig heads as part of that theme. Mm-hmm. But you were adamant. No, it's gotta be pig heads. Right. So, <laughs> So I guess the question I'd like to ask you for, to start with, Jay, is why why does it have to be pigheads? No, that that is a fair question, and I pro- <laughs> I, I will I'll promise I'll answer you on this. So uh, a couple of things, yeah. When you when you did say that, when you say what? Why can't we just do horror masks? And and that was as you described. That was kind of the first reaction that I had because I was like, okay, I know everybody's done horror masks, but I bet nobody has done pig-headed horror so i felt like that was a, a little a little bit like you know you don't say yeah like right now you don't say <laughs> right, right and and i think that's a good thing i mean in an exciting way i mean i think it's like hey maybe these guys are are looking at something that is a trend in horror i mean i could see you arguing about like whether or not it's a theme but i'm going to be in our theme discussion here, which we're getting into, I'm going to be talking about how it seems to be a trend. And I think that's interesting. But first, I, I do want to thank, because we kind of teased this at the end of the previous episode, and we asked people to uh, tweet um, hashtag pig headed horror. <laughs> and I just would tell you people who did, I love you so much. I want to give a shout out to, to Andrew W., Greg the Gray Man, uh, James L., and even put a motel hell <laughs> picture up. Um, Shane, Shane says I'm intrigued. And then, uh, um, yeah, the, Greg always listening said, which is really nice just to have that support. And uh, yeah. Sal Roma, uh, Victor Rodriguez. Uh, I'm so worried. I'm going to forget people. End of Dave's, <laughs> David Fear, Red Cap Jack, and he he's like big headed horror okay like you know, like weirdo you know <laughs> and um <laughs> jeff hammer um uh, uh, trey whetstone i mean i hope that's everybody but um thank you all for chiming in there and at least being willing to hear what this is about yeah, so for everybody out there who thought who, who assumed we recorded this on april 1st and that this is an april fool's joke <laughs> Oh no! This has been going back and forth since what uh, February, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's been going back and forth for a while. It has been. Um, I forget what movie it is from. Quoting from, but it has been the source of uh, much unpleasantness. But but it's been kind of funny too. So okay, so animal masks, like especially um, when we have a lot of time, we see masks obviously in the slasher subgenre of horror. And we even see animal masks. And uh, more recently, like something like You're Next, we have a lamb and a tiger and a fox. And then in jackals, 
you know, they appear to be jackal masks, right? And, and so you do have some masks with other animals. But I've noticed over the years, especially the last 10 years probably, that we are having more and more pig head masks. And I think that's kind of fascinating to me. And as we counted it up, I mean, we, we uh, came up with a list here. And I, I don't know, what would you guys say? It's like 12 to 15 different different entries. And so the, the, mm-hmm. the first thing I would say is I think this is an interesting trend because, um, for example, I mean, we don't have, you know, 12 to 15 hippopotamus masked killers, right? Like, <laughs> so, so there's that. And then, and then like well, another, that's true. <laughs> but maybe we need that just saying out there, horror directors. But the other thing is, and I like to reference this horror film just because it's, it's such an oddity, but the, there's that one called the orange man, right? Which is a slasher flick about a guy who kills people with a bag of oranges. Okay. Yeah. That's, and it's horror comedy, but that's a one off oddity. Um, now, but if we started getting like, you know, every once in a while, more and more films where horror films where somebody's killing people with a bag of oranges, then it would start to, you know, uh, uh I don't know, gain a little bit of momentum or something, a little bit of footing and become like a horror sub subgenre. And and we see that that very thing unfortunately with something like killer turkeys. I mean, we have a handful of those. We have some killer rabbit movies which I mean, some of those date back to like the 70s. So some of those are kind of approaching it. Night Night of the Lepus? Yeah. For, for example, yeah. yeah, that's one of them. Yeah, and so well, if if you're gonna if you're gonna reference reference the best, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> and poultry geist, you know, or whatever, um, absolutely. So you have that. So so that's one angle I'm coming at. It's like okay, why? Because what I wanted to figure out with you guys, and I actually have a theory for this that I'm gonna float to everybody. I think there is a reason. I wanted to kind of trace back, like reverse engineer, how did we get here where we have 12 to 15 pig-headed <laughs> killer movies? It's just crazy. Um, but first, I, I just want to say, like on my, my pig story, Dave, from the past, see, pig-headed horror, one reason I love this theme is because it actually scares me. I think it's really scary. Um, it freaks me out a lot, and I'm serious. And it and it's funny because my my son is he is scared to death of pigs. He's a has swinophobia. That's a, like a real thing. Like where he if he sees pictures of pigs, it freaks him out, and it does me too. But my reason is, and you guys are gonna make fun of me, but when I was a little boy, um, I had this Miss Piggy from the Muppets. I had a puppet of her that was very real looking and. And uh, she was about as big as I was almost because I was a little kid. And one time I woke up from sleeping and she was right there by my arm. And I just woke up with arm pain. You know how like little kids have growing pains and their bones ache or whatever. And I had arm pain and I was convinced. I was absolutely convinced that Miss Piggy had bitten me. And I woke up with her big eyes and her pig snout in my face and it scared me to death. So I know that sounds dumb, but but it really. No, ha- no, I, I mean, as a kid, I can I can see you, uh, you know, being afraid of something like that. I yeah, it make it makes sense. I really would. Do you have any any video of anything of you? <laughs> 
doing Miss Piggy? I mean, did you doing did you her voice? Well, no, no, no. Did you get the voice down? Did you did you get the voice down of of like? Uh, did you put on shows of like Jay, Jay and Miss Piggy shows? <laughs> no, I, I mean, no, I didn't actually. I've never had that ability to impersonate voices. Um, you just kept her kept her by you. Yeah, I mean, I was a st- I loved stuffed animals. You know, I was that kind of kid. Okay. And and, okay. and I wondered, but this was a puppet, or this was just a stuffed animal. It, it was a it was like a puppet, but you know, it was a working a working puppet. Yeah, I mean, it was a, an inexpensive one. But she was like soft, but her face was rubber, and her eye. Okay. I mean, I mean, this is a very impressive, like looking puppet. But um, formidable and scary. I'm picturing the actual Miss Piggy laying next to you in bed. That's the only thing I can, I can think of is, is because that, that you know it's a very impressive looking puppet. And if you're saying it was as big as you, that's almost like the real Miss Piggy. Well, I, that's what I'm saying. And I was little, so yeah. I mean, this is this is real, Dave. This is not this is not imagined. And and I challenge people if you if everybody thinks I'm silly right now, um, try this. Like go go in like a dark room. And pull up a pic- picture of Miss Piggy, and um, <laughs> this sounds, this sounds like um 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 uh, um, um uh, yeah, this as, is very good. As 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 your as as most people are are prone to do when they're in a dark room. That's I mean, right. If you're gonna pull up a, a picture. Miss Piggy seems the logical choice. There is a lot of uh, suggestive comments here about my relationship, my private relationship with Miss Piggy, and I don't appreciate it. But um, I'm just warning people, if you do, if you ever try to scare me and come at me in a pig mask or with Miss Piggy, then uh, I'm going to come, fight or flight, I'm going to come at you full bore. He's going to shoot you dead. (laughs) That's right. He's got a purple belt, you guys. A purple belt. Yes, that's right. Um, I said, I said full bore. I just love it. I love the pig jokes, but, Um, but no, so, so, so swinophobia though, that's a real thing. Have you heard of this phobia before? Let's just talk about that because I want to talk about why is it that pigs are scary to people? Do you, I I mean, I, I, no, I've not heard of swinophobia. I don't know. Um, (laughs) other than yourself, anybody who suffers from it. Um, but I, you know what, you know when it was, (laughs) When I first became aware of what pigs could do and like how scary they could be was actually in the movie Snatch mm-hmm. from 2000, yeah. the Guy Ritchie film, the, the brick top. And I'm looking at what he says here about when you want to feed a body. Um, you know, he, he says you, you got to starve the pig for a few days. Then the sight of a chopped up body will look like curry to a piss head. I'm not going to go to the full language here. You got to shave the heads of your victims and pull out the teeth for the sake of the piggy's digestion. And then he goes down here to say that, you know, you get uh, uh, get 16 pigs. They can go through a 200-pound man. They go through bone like butter. And you start reading and you start hearing that. You're like, wow. I mean, and then they do it again in Hannibal from 2001. Uh, so that's two movies real close there. And you start to realize, geez, I guess this is a real thing. I guess you want to get rid of a body. You feed it to the pigs. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. There was something like that in that movie, Two Guns, as well, with Mark Wahlberg and Denzel Washington. There was like fed to the pig scene in that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well. Well said. I, exactly. And um, so that is a thing. And I have heard from people that you know pigs. I'm, they're really dangerous and and I'm I'm not I know people are probably like okay Jay's already stretching here but I just want to talk about the I'm establishing a general fear of pigs 
And and they are very mean. I mean, do you remember in um, The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy falls in the pig pen and they like about to have a heart, heart attack? That's because pigs are mean and they're vicious and they will bite you and they're very intelligent mm-hmm. and their DNA is very close to that of humans. I think that's interesting. But this dates back this this fear of this dates back. I'm going to I'm going to go way back here, guys, cuz this is creepy. If you if you believe in the events of of the Bible, okay, in the New Testament. Um, don't worry, we're not going to have Sunday school here. I just want to tell you one little story. Um, there was a, there is a story in there that that would make a, a horror film. It's a horror story. I believe it's Mark chapter five, and that's where um, <clears throat> there was this man who was basically possessed with um, um, multiple demons. It was called Legion, right? Because there were so many demons in this guy, and Jesus comes to him and casts out the demons into this group, this herd of swine. And so they have the demons inside of them. And then they run down into the ocean and are choked to death and they die. And that's a freaky story because if you believe in that, which I do, um, <laughs> that that's an actual instance, if you believe in it, where these swine are ab- actually possessed <laughs> by demons. <laughs> and and so that's kind of freaky. And in, and in biblically, like, you know, over the... Over the ages, like um, there have been various times where swine flesh is considered as unclean and, you know, you don't eat it and certain faiths feel that way and so forth. Um, so, yeah, there, well, I mean, go ahead. The, one of the things I think about is the Lord of the Flies, right? Yes. So the Lord of the Flies is an alternate name for Beelzebub, which is an alternate name for the devil himself. And when William Golding was writing the the novel lord of the flies he intend there's this great scene with the pig head on the stick mm-hmm. and the, the little boys are hunting the monster of the island right and this boar's head on the stick as a sacrifice to the monster mm-hmm. well <clears throat> the other little boy's been hiding from them and he comes out of hiding and he is prone to fainting and he sees this boar's head and he faints and he has this dream where the boar's head is speaking to him Mm-hmm. as the Lord of the flies and telling him it is, you know, essentially saying it is man who is the real beast, yes. you know? And so, and, and that, and that boar's head is intended to represent Satan in within the context of that novel. So to me, that's like one of the first things I really think about in pop culture that you, um, this idea of the fleshy pig head as a horror device. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. I think it's been tied to Satanism very far back. So I think that's definitely an element of how it made its way into horror. Yes. But I also just think there's this fleshy look to pig skin that looks, I would say of all the beasts, it looks the most like human skin. Mm-hmm. And when you see yeah. a, a pig in a slaughterhouse, it could be mistaken for a person under the saw. And I think that is a disturbing image. It's an uncanny element that I think lends itself to kind of a creepiness around the pig. Right. Yes. Right. And it's and watch and watching some of these movies today. What what struck me is, unlike the other ones you were talking about, Jay, like the jackal masks um, from Jackals and from Your Next, the animal masks. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're watching these movies, you're trying to work out: is it a real pig's head or is it a mask? Right. <laughs> because you can't yeah, always tell. Use the actual, or it seems as though actual fleshy pig's head, which right. I. Can't always be the case, I guess, in a lot of these, but 
definitely in like right. a motel hell you're thinking yo yeah that's a that's the head of a pig on this guy's head right it, it calls to mind for me the mr bean christmas special when he gets that turkey stuff on his head. you know but it has that <laughs> gross look to it where it just looks disgusting yes you know so, i mean for part of that i mean i think that has something to do with it if Brilliant. we can talk way back for just one minute um mm-hmm. you know you're talking about as far back as the bible if we want to go to the 18th century in Dublin, in 1832, there was a creature that was terrorizing the city, and uh, they called this creature the Dolisher. I don't know how to pronounce that in Dublinese, but they said the Dolisher, and it was uh, believed to be the spirit of a former inmate of the Black Dog prison, basically, right? And so the um, that somehow cheated death, and so this Dolisher was going around committing crimes killing women and doing all of these terrible things at night. And they called it the black pig. And this, this black pig would be moving through the city at night and people were terrified of it. (laughs) This one woman who was attacked by the black pig at night miscarried. She was pregnant and miscarried. And so there's all these terrible things that are going around murder. And one night after many months of the reign of terror, I believe if I'm not mixing up the dates, this guy, this black pig of Dublin, it attacks a blacksmith who had been working late night at Christchurch. And the blacksmith had been drinking all day. And so when he was attacked by the black pig, you know, he fights back. You know, he's 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 a drunk, he's drunk and looking for a fight, and he, he fights back and he and he lays out this pig with a blow to the head and then finds out, oh, this is a man dressed up in pig skin. And this guy was actually a century at the black dog and has the one who started the rumors of the black pig himself. So we could use the terror that it was causing the atmosphere of terror to kind of cover for his own nocturnal crime spree that he was going on. Wow. I didn't know about that one, Josh. This one is brand new. So is that, is that supposedly a real event? Yeah, That's, that's a a real thing that happened in Dublin in 1832. Wow. So that might be the first then the first instance of like like real life pig-headed. human donning pigskin, yeah, yeah, that that is so fascinating. I well done. I love that. So yeah. yeah, you guys are totally going the same direction. That was something I I didn't know about there, but like you mentioned how the fleshy look of it, yeah, the the color. That's something I noticed in these movies is the the color of the pigskin kind of matches human skin. And so it's almost like, I mean, deformity is really scary to me. So when you see a pig head and the snout, you know, sticking out on a human's body, it almost looks like a severe form of uh, deformity or something. But, but okay, so, so here's where we get into the theory then. Uh, and I'll just give you the broad strokes and then we can talk about them each a little more in depth if you want. But um, the, the first thing is um, the pig is a symbol um, in ancient Chinese cultures. Okay, I, I looked this up. Is a, The pig is a symbol of uh, virility and strength, okay? And yes, the, I went to like one of the, the inspirational places, Josh, for me is The Lord of the Flies, which is a, a novel from 1954. And I, what's interesting about that is, yeah, you've got the pig head on the, the stick and I love how that pig head in the film's depiction, you know, it decays and it has tons of flies and it's disgusting, which is kind of an an aspect of horror, right? When things are disgusting and off-putting. But there's also the the base 
and violent nature of humans as they devolve. Um, and and I, I think it's interesting that in this novel, at least, that the behavior of the humans goes to violence and murder, and you have this pig head almost there as, I don't want to say an influence, but it's a, it's affiliated with all of this this madness. And, and, and so that's interesting to me. So that, that's part of it, I think. And then we um, fast forward. So from 1954, let's go to uh, 1974. Dr. Shock and I, our all-time favorite horror film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Now, and that, as we all know, that has to do with a, a family of uh, cannibals, basically, and they worked for this this butcher like factory and, and, and so forth. And so there's not a lot of, um, you know, pig related stuff there. They're mainly they're primarily talking about cows and stuff. But um, Motel Hell, which is the next place I jumped to, Motel Hell is is kind of riffing it's a little bit satirical and and i think it takes some inspiration obviously from the texas chainsaw massacre so i feel like that that motel hell was um inspired well, Hooper was supposed to direct motel hell initially as well mm-hmm. that makes see that 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 makes a lot of sense that would have been <laughs> would have been great but um so <laughs> then and these are just broad strokes again um we can go a little more in depth but so from there as everybody who's listening to this podcast knows, then you have the Saw franchise. And, you know, I looked this up a good bit, and a a lot of the different resources that I read, like when I read people's thoughts on this and stuff, when they were the Saw franchise, we we have a lot of the pig mask. Um, This is kind of a, a recurring thing that happens in the Saw movies. And a lot of people... I mean, there's some symbolism there, but there's also some people who who feel, and I feel this too, that it that it's kind of ref- referencing at least a little Motel Hell because that's pretty freaky when <laughs> the end of Motel Hell he puts on that mask and comes at him with a chainsaw. It's insane. So, so yeah. I I think w- and and the Saw movies bring us up here to contemporary times. Well, so, if we if I can just interject there, Jay, go ahead. I mean, it, number one, you mentioned. Chinese culture and the use of the pig. Um, the Saw movies actually go back and retroactively give the, you know, the uh, origin of the pig mask as being related to the year of the pig, mm-hmm. which had to do with the death of Jigsaw's family and also his first kind of kidnapping yeah, as well. G- Gideon, and right, his son. his initial his initial pig mask at a celebration for the year of the pig in Chinatown, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, right. I thought that was interesting. I mean, I think that was interesting to connect what you were saying earlier with that. Yes. But, but I think it's clear to me that yes, although motel hell and maybe to some small degree, Texas Chainsaw Massacre were influences on the current spate of pig headed horror that we're seeing it's got to be the saw franchise to kick this all off because we saw, I mean, we're looking at a break between 1980 and 2004 when we see, you know, in pig headed movies mm-hmm. and then all of the pig headed movie, other pig headed movies start like in 2007, right. which overlaps with the saw franchise. And then that's when we're starting to see this huge influx. Of, right. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> I think I think the Saw franchise is largely responsible because of that. But I, I don't think we can discount. And also, simultaneously, we can't necessarily prove. But I do think things like Lord of the Flies, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Motel Hell, I, I wonder how much those influences seeped into the creators, you know, once we got to the Saw. I mean... I, it's funny how derivative things there are. You know, like in art, they always say there there's no such thing as an original idea. Everybody steals from one another. So I do I do feel like there is kind of a course you could follow. But you're right. There's a huge gap between 1980 and then the first saw. But um, yeah. so that that's interesting. But yes, it, the the majority of these movies are <laughs> more modern and i think this is kind of a modern thing that we're seeing now just real quick i want to take a a side detour here and as we said we're not talking about killer pig movies but um we we can at least name drop just what what we're talking about there, there are some killer pig movies as well probably some of the most famous are like razorback one of my favorites, I know Doc loves this one, is Pig Hunt. <laughs> okay, Pig yeah. Hunt. And then and then you have Prey from 2010. You got Chaw. You got Hogzilla. You got Boar, which is coming out in 2018. It's new. And maybe one of the most infamous is a movie called Pigs. From my yes, think- I did. And I, look, I, I reviewed that one as well. And uh, you want to talk about Strange. Yeah. That is a weird, weird movie. Pigs yes. are only only a very small percentage of that film. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just that he happens to have pigs that, that he uses to dispose of bodies, which you see in the very opening scene. Uh, but other than that, um, it's, it's just bizarre. It's a very weird movie. Right. And that's like what? 1973, I think 72, 73. 72, 73, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so, you know, I just want to at least name drop those, but that's not what we're here for. Um, but this pig horror mask thing, guys, this we are seeing this as well in real life, as well as pop culture. So, um, for example, just last year, almost like a year ago exactly, March 2017, I don't know if you remember, there was a gunman in um, Las Vegas at a casino. They had, did, they had done this robbery of a bunch of jewelry or something, and he wore a pig mask for that. And I'm not saying that's horror, but I'm just saying it's kind of interesting you have a pig mask showing up. And then if you go on Amazon.com and you search for like pig masks, there are a variety of creepy, scary pig masks. And as Josh said, probably, yeah, this is probably saw related. But um, yeah, I found like probably four or five different creepy pig masks. And then on YouTube, <laughs> you have um there's this one video, it's called the psychotic pig mask prank, you know, where somebody tries to scare people to death wearing a pig mask and has a, a knife. And then and then another thing on YouTube that I found is this audio tale. It's kind of like a podcast. Um, it, it's, it's similar to lore or our campfire tales that we do. And I don't know that these are true, but the kid telling the story is um, saying that they're true. And there's one called Horror Stories the man in the pig mask. And so supposedly he had this encounter with some freak show host (laughs) in a pig mask. And then there are even horror short films that you could find. Like there's one called pig face, the horror movie. So we're seeing it there too. And I think that's interesting. So 
Are you guys thinking that at, at this point, after all we've discussed, do you feel like there is some sort of movement or trend in horror where there's like a fear of pig masked killers? I don't know if it's so much a trend as a coincidence. And then I'm saying that just because, I mean, I think that the pig mask for all the reasons we've been discussing is, is creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it makes sense to use it in, in, and especially when you get to these rural areas, these um, like the Texas chainsaw massacre type of, of communities, you know, uh, that's one of the th- themes I noticed with a lot of the films we're looking at today is that these, a lot of these communities where these things take place are off the beaten path. I mean, they are like, out in the middle of nowhere. And it, it reminded me, uh, again, going back to this this job I had, uh, there was a pattern maker there. And I remember he had this conversation with me. He had just seen the uh, an X-Files episode. It was called The Postmodern Prometheus, mm-hmm. uh, fifth season one. And it takes place in this little, very small town in Indiana um, where, where the two agents go out and they're investigating the strange impregnation of this woman. Um, and they make a very uh, unusual discovery. Well, I remember this pattern maker talking to me. And and one of the things he always said stuck with me. And I didn't do any research on any of this. I don't even know if this is true. But he was basically saying that small town America is kind of gross. You know, there, there's there's a seediness to it. There's He was talking about the suicide rates in these very rural communities and how, you know, when, when you think of like the Norman Rockwell, that the reality is nothing like that, that there's just all of this, these undercurrents of, of just sort of, I don't want to say evil, but just this, this, uh, this sort of dirty undercurrent that goes with a lot of these communities, this, these close knit, let's cover everything up type of stuff. And he would just go on for days and days about it after seeing this X-Files episode and it was sort of coming back in my mind as I was watching these films, because that's a prominent theme in mm-hmm. a lot of the movies that I've, I've said pretty much all of maybe maybe one accepted. But in all of these movies, even with Motel Hell and all of that sort of stuff, it's taking a look at 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 like the, what would what Norman Rockwell would say would be like the ideal of this small town, the small community for everyone's very close and turning it on its head, saying there's a lot of bad stuff that could go on in that type of situation. Mm-hmm. Right. And so along with that, just to chime in with you there, Dave, it's, it's also fascinating. So because they are like rural, uh, a lot of times there is, you know, a livestock element where they have access to these animals. <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know why that struck me funny, but it did, but they have access to the animals. And then um, what's weird about it though and I think in a lot of these movies, like Motel Hell, I mean, Farmer Vincent, I mean, he is affiliated with, I mean, he's into like, um, you know, he's a farmer, obviously, and he does meats and and curing meats, and he has some interesting meat choices, as you know. But like with that one, there's nothing necessarily symbolic about the pig mask per se, like like and and in a lot of these other films there's not really a reason that it's a pig mask maybe well, other than the fact that they have pigs i might argue with you about motel hell i mean i think the do the details of that movie which i don't know how deep you want to get into it i think there is a reason i think human flesh looking very similar to pig flesh i think that's why 
the pig is on display so much in that film. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, but I would, I would agree. And I also think with, with putting on that mask, if you think of that movie and again, I don't want I know we're going to be talking about it a little bit later, but farmer Vincent is sort of this nice guy. I mean, he's weird. He's weird throughout the movie, but he's portrayed as this sort of nice, genial Rory Calhoun. What a nice guy. <laughs> it's in that scene when he's in the mask where the monster comes out and he's not that nice guy anymore. Right. But I, I just um, I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm not articulating it very well, but because <clears throat> I, I, I like Josh's point about, OK, yeah, he's the, the color of pig flesh is, you know, blends well with human flesh. But like, why, why does it have to be a color? It's like the look and the texture when there's scenes at the beginning of motel hell, where you, you're looking at this like slaughterhouse, essentially these pig bodies. And there are definitely moments where you're like, Oh, I'm not sure if this is going to reveal a human body or a pig body or what I'm looking at. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. So that's cool. I mean, I, I guess I hadn't thought about it from that angle and I think that's pretty neat. Then um you know maybe that's why but but like with the other films though I do I do think that like there's not necessarily a reason that it's a pig mask other than I don't know they have access to these animals and so they could cut off well, a pig's head that's and what I wonder is that is a trend or is that they are they just ripping off what they thought looked cool about Saw you know are they just or Motel Hall they're just ripping off a cool mm. iconography. A lot of these movies are kind of cheap movies, as I mentioned. They're I wasn't very low budget in mm-hmm. checking any of these out when I looked them up, and I just wonder: are these low budget films looking for a hook that they can just easily borrow from elsewhere and appropriate for their own use? It's really when I see it used in places like American Horror Story, which has the budget to do anything they want, and you know, and they use it there. Then I think, okay, there's an artistic reason that's being chosen. And, you know, I looked at two episodes of American horror story, piggy piggy, which is season one, episode six from 2011 and, um, chapter two, which is season six, episode two. I thought those were interesting. They were different. The, the first one is more kind of what we've been talking about. This guy in a pig head who's a killer and there's a legend about it, you know, and, and whereas in, um, Legend of the Pigman, whereas in chapter two, it's more like a cult leader. And that, to me, tied back to the ideas of Lord of the Flies and the ties to Satanism with this with this pig head. Mm-hmm. And, and just very briefly with these, I also think it's interesting that a lot of these, like you said, Jay, some of them are just a mask. Some of them seems to be an actual pig. But I think it is interesting with this, because you don't see this with a lot of other movies, you know, I think about um, you know, the owl mask in one of my favorite mm. gels, which I can't think of the title of right now for some reason, <laughs> but, um, what the heck? Oh, stage fright. You yeah. know, that, that is a giant oversized owl mask. It doesn't look real. It looks cool, but it's, there's no point where you think that's an owl head. Right. Because body wouldn't make sense. Or with, um, you know, a lot of the newer films where they wear animal masks, they're very clearly just only covering the front of the face. Even they're not even covering the back of the head or anything. It's it's clearly kind of like a masquerade mm-hmm. type of mask. And so I do think it's interesting that a lot of these pig masks seem to look like an actual pig head. And that's something that 
sets them apart maybe from other masks of the sort. There's there's that aspect, and the other thing that I think is interesting about these pig-headed masks is that when the killers wear them, a lot of times there's not they don't really talk in them. Like they they might make grunting noises, or you know there may even be pig noises sometimes, but usually it's a silent kind of killer. And I know that that that's typical of slashers. But I, I would also say that not all of these are sh- straight on slashers either. So that's kind of interesting. And maybe it's just difficult to talk with a pig face on your face. But <laughs> it's definitely difficult to see. We get, <laughs> we get that in. Right, I would think, yeah. not, you can't see very well when he's got that thing on his head. Mm-hmm. So those American Horror Story episodes, I didn't see those, Josh. Are, are those pretty good? Are they creepy? Would you recommend those? It was enough to make me want to watch the show in full. I mean, they're serialized, so probably watching them out of order as I did wasn't the best way to experience them, but it definitely made me want to give American Horror Story a shot. Okay. And just as a very brief aside, because I know we don't, Jay, we don't really talk TV on here much, and you don't watch a ton of TV. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that American Horror Story works is each season, it's the same cast, but they kind of create a whole different world for each season. And then the war, and then that season is kind of its own self-contained story. And the characters all switch. The actors all switch characters and play different types of people season to season. So Neat. you might have like a, a insane asylum season. And then you might have a freak show at the circus season and the characters all get swapped around and people are playing different things every season, which is, I think is a cool idea. That is cool. Neat. Yep. Just a little bit there about American Horse. <laughs> yeah. No, I like I like learning about that. I'm, 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 you know, obviously, we're not saying anything new. People love it, but I have not ever given it a shot to watch it all the way through, and um, I'm going to now. I think it looks like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let me see. What, oh, okay. I was going to also mention to you guys. So regarding the, the Saw franchise, just circle back to that real quick. Um I, I do think that's that's a freaking scary mask and very unsettling to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's recurring enough that I, I, I see that it's it's important. And I, and I think it's I think it's an important part of that franchise for me. I, and like you said, Josh, a minute ago, when you're talking about the iconography of it, um, and, you know, I could see them duplicating it and stuff, but I, I just think it's interesting in and of itself. It's like, if you made a horror movie, Josh, and this question is directed at you for a reason. If you made a horror movie, would you hang your hat on or place your bets on your monster mask being a pig head? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, right? I mean, I, I think it's, it might be. I, mean, I guess if it's fit with the story you wanted to tell potentially i know like there's a i've talked before about the first screenplay that i wrote was this slasher that took place at a ski resort and the killer looked very much like the killer in urban legend Mm -hmm. and i was so upset when that movie came out because it was right around the time i was writing the screenplay as well it came out like when i was like halfway finished writing the movie and I thought it doesn't even fit for their movie. It's the perfect, it's the perfect thing for my movie because it takes place at a ski resort <laughs> and you know, have this big park at where you can't see the person's face. I just thought that's perfect. And so, yeah, I definitely struggled with, at least at that time, there would be no reason 
or no way to even really get away with using the same killer look. Maybe now this many years in, when it's been done a few more times with movies like ATM or whatever, you can get away with it. But. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you. If yeah, was... I, don't get, I don't get why people want to do it unless it really just fits their world so well. This is what I was trying to get at before I got centric. Unless it just fits the world so well that they just think, well, it's got to be a pig head. I think if you're talking about a movie that's <laughs> already called Pork Chop, I don't know what else you're going to do. Yeah. And and I wish I, I didn't actually get to see those. Um, there is a Pork Chop trilogy, and this is um, these are killer pig head movies, but... But they're also comedy horror. Now, now, Dave, that sounds like your kind of bag. Trilogy, actually, what? What? What do you say? Sorry, what do you say? Quadrilogy, actually. Yes. Quadrilogy, actually, because there's also a spinoff called Pig Girl. Yeah, Pig Girl. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and it's it's related to that. But yeah, you got Pork Chop from 2010. You got Pork Chop Two: Rise of the Rind, and then you've got Pork Chop 3D from 2012, and then you have um pig girl from 2014 now dave did you see any of these pork chop movies in your day i i have not no, no okay I not. yeah i, I mean think i own i think i own the first one uh but i have not seen it because <laughs> because yeah that first one i mean look at uh, some of the images because i did look up the images for these the images were intriguing to me um the premise is a group of campers are stalked by a deranged redneck with a pig mask. And, and that's another common thing as, as we've talked about, these are rural people usually. And, and a lot of times these are redneck type people and they're in the woods. So it's like a slasher killer in the woods, but wearing a pig mask. That's another common thing. And and your boy here, Jay, the director of pork chop is from Charleston, West Virginia. So, so that, that, uh, you know, that explains a lot really. (laughs) Okay. And then what about, there aren't many instances of this that I found at least, but like, uh, for example, one that I found, there's a film from 2009 called Necromentia and it appears um, that the, a victim is made to wear a pig mask in that one. Like they make this victim wear a pig mask in, in Necromentia. Now, they, have you guys seen that film? No. Okay. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard it's pretty decent. But anyway, that's interesting. And then you got, there's even a Korean film from 2007 called The Butcher. And this is a, a killer pig headed movie and unfortunately I, I didn't see this either so but um i i think it's interesting so how do we explain that how do we account for um <laughs> you know this this making it across the pond so to speak and i'm, I'm not saying that you know pig headed horror is exclusive to just the united states but it, you know seeing that in a korean film i think is intriguing probably from what josh was saying for saw you know, I'm, I'm guessing the Saw franchise was more far-reaching than just uh, these shores. I'm sure it uh, mm-hmm. uh, made its way all over the world, and I, I'm guessing that's probably might be, might have been. Yeah, I haven't seen the the butcher. I have no idea, but that might have been uh, at least somewhat of a of an influence. I'm with you. Yeah, I think you're. You guys are probably right about that. Yeah, it was just three years later. But yeah, that one's about uh, making of a snuff film from both the perspective of the killers and the victims. And from what I read about it, it sounds like it's pretty hardcore and gory and explicit. So mm. yeah, if people mm. catch up with The Butcher, let me know because I'd like to see that. 
Um, the only other things that we weren't, uh, this one I really did try to get to. There's an interesting film called The Bloodlands, and the other title is, the AKA is White Settlers from 2014. Um, did you did you guys look up this or see anything about this? No. Okay. Um, I haven't seen it either. I I did find one place. Um, you can you could stream it on on Prime, Amazon Prime. It looks like, but it, it's it takes place in I think it's is it Scotland? You guys, it's a UK film. One review I read. Somebody giving some feedback says it's kind of like a British version of The Strangers. It's a home invasion film and you basically have a couple that moves into this new house in scotland and then these men in pig masks show up and terrify them all night so it's kind of strangers-esque but they're wearing pig masks so Yikes. you know that's kind of jackals like too i mean that's kind of interesting well it's also like what was that um that other movie um from that same year was it uh, tormented exactly because in tormented which we're going to talk about here momentarily there are three different people in pig masks. Three different kinds of pig masks, in fact. Right, right. <laughs> but well, yeah. I was going to say to everybody, we did actually watch some pig-headed horror. I mean, we're talking now about the ones we didn't watch, but yeah. we did actually get around to some. <laughs> yeah, we're getting to it. What were you going to say, Josh? Um, one movie that I was wondering if it was somewhat influential on this movement. Probably not, but just in the lineage I was thinking about. There's the post-apocalyptic Delicatessen. Oh which, yeah, uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet and Marco Caro <laughs> directed, which is a it, oh yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah. It's a cannibal film, and and definitely you know in the pig as horror, uh, and you know I don't know, it's just in the mix there a little bit, but right. it's not really a it's not really ultimately a horror film. It's kind of a com- dark comedy, right? But it's very quirky and arty and interesting. It's yeah, that's a good that's neat film. Um, the, the last thing I was going to mention before we actually get into the reviews, unless you guys had something else, is um, uh, The Farm from 2018, which is coming out this year. I'm hearing some good buzz about this, and I haven't been able... I really wanted to review it on this episode, um, but I just haven't located it yet. Have you guys seen anything on The Farm? Negatory good buddy. Okay. I'm, I'm just looking it up now. Yeah, so this is um, this is directed by Hans uh, Sternsward. I bet you Josh could pronounce that properly, but I have failed. But <laughs> but this film is um, I, I don't know. I'm hearing good things. I'm seeing good things about a young couple. They get kidnapped and treated like farm animals after they stop at a roadside diner to eat meat. And, and my understanding is that this might have. I don't know for sure, but this might have some pig-headed type of stuff in it too. <laughs> so doesn't, it doesn't have any doesn't have a, a single review yet. So I'm guessing it's not even out yet. Yeah, I don't think it is either. But um, there's a trailer on IMDb though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't even have yeah, it doesn't even have release dates announced for this yet on IMDb though. Yeah, I think somebody um, somebody tweeted this at us recently. And I'm like, and I responded like, oh, you don't know, <laughs> you have no idea. This is exactly the direction we're heading. And I was re- <laughs> really happy about that. So, you know, I, I feel this buzz happening in our crew. But anyways, um, let me just see, see if there's anything else before we move into the reviews. Did you guys get to say all you wanted to say about the, the thematic discussion there 
I guess there's an episode of Gotham if we're talking about television shows with Professor Pig, serial cop killer, um, who oh, wears yeah. a wears a pig head mask. That he was on an episode called Hog Day Afternoon. <laughs> okay, Gotham. but did you get to see that? Because I'd be interested no, in if I, I wonder how severe that is. The image I saw of it looks pretty scary. Okay, that's great. So yeah, we've named, I mean, right there, and, and we're getting ready to move into the reviews, but um, but yeah, this is somewhere around like 12 to 15 items. So it looks like the first one up on our list is a little feature review of a film called Albino Farm from 2009. There's something wrong with this place. Some stones is best left unturned. So before we, I hand it over to Dave here, Albino Farm, we actually, Dave and I talked about this before, way back in Horror Movie Podcast episode 17. I believe that was our Cutting Heads episode where like Dave and I, we were the only two on the show and we basically just tossed back and forth like uh, many reviews of horror films. And at the time, Dave hadn't seen it, but he's owned it for a while. Um, He's caught up with it now. But uh, this is interesting to me because uh, the way that I ended up discovering it, Dave, Dave, you and I, I think, discovered it for different reasons. And I won't tell your reason. But my reason was, have you ever done the IMDb rabbit hole where you're like looking up an actor because you're intrigued and then you find the the other work that they've been in? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what happened because I saw on one of my kids' movies, they had a trailer for a, a horse movie. Not horror at all, but it's a horse movie called Flicka 2. <laughs> and there's this really cute actress named uh, Tamman Sursock. And she looks very young in that trailer. But before you judge me, she's like 30 something. So, you know, get off my case. But anyway, she's also been in a horror movie that I love called Husk. Anyway, Tamman Sursock is in this movie, Albino Farm. And that's how I ended up finding it. But Dave, you ended up finding it in another way that was connected to our horror podcasting history. Yeah, I actually uh, have a signed copy of the DVD by Bianca Barnett, Mm -hmm. who... uh, actually plays in this movie and the reason it's included in this uh discussion she plays a character called pig bitch yes <laughs> at least that's how she's uh she's listed on um imdb right i purchased the dvd but it, she did autograph it for me um and sent me a, an autograph photo as well which i thought was great and i always meant to get around to it and i just never this was the perfect opportunity i guess it was just fate mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> This is meant to be, Dave. <laughs> yeah, and that uh, pig bitch character that she plays yeah. as a monstrous character, obviously, is pig-headed horror. And that is not her given name, of course. You know, this uh, she earns that name by some name-calling of a victim, right? But, right, <laughs> but right, that's right. pretty hilarious. So, so, Dave, you have a premise for us to tell the listeners a little bit about Albino Farm? I do, and this is coming right off of IMDb. Mm-hmm. Four college friends uh, doing research for a school project find themselves a part of the legend they're seeking to unravel when car troubles render them lost in uncharted Ozark territory. You know, this is not a very good synopsis. So let me just see if I can (laughs) sort of paraphrase it here. These these four college students, they are doing a a class project and they're heading out to look at different, I guess, uh, areas of small town America. And they end up in this town of Shiloh where they, they're caught up in the uh, the legend of the albino farm. Mm-hmm. 
and they're really trying to find out. And then, you know, the, the locals are, are giving them, you know, telling them a little about it and dropping some hints and or maybe poking fun at them. But the whole time, these people are like, no, we want to visit this. You know, the uh, one of them in particular really wants to visit this this albino farm. And as in all horror, you get what you ask for. <laughs> and they do end up uh, visiting the albino farm and hilarity ensues. Right. As uh, Double H would say. And Andy as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So basically, yeah, you did. You described it very well there, Dave. I mean, it's a mutant redneck hillbilly freak movie along the yeah. lines of wrong turn, but not as good for my money. But right. But, you know, pretty low budget. And these characters have some serious uh, deformities. And um, oh, yeah. that's freaky to me. Right. So absolutely. I mean, some of them are, are, you know, the, the, the effects for, for the budget that it was, were not bad. The makeup effects. Mm-hmm, right. I thought they were pretty good. And there's one in particular in a church that I thought was really kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when these two characters go into this back room of a church and they see something they were not supposed to see. And you just, you're just looking at that saying that's all sorts of wrong. You know what you're seeing in the, in the back room of that church, right? Um, and the and Bianca Barnett's character, she plays you know this pig woman. I thought that the makeup on that uh, that she was wearing was was very good. Yes, mm-hmm. um, you know. So I did like the makeup in this movie. Um, the story is not as original. We've already established that these all of these movies have this sort of running you know theme of of uh, you know this very small town. Uh, this also had, I was very surprised to see Richard Christie in this. He's actually a writer for Howard Stern. Oh, and man. it was very, very interesting to see him come up. He plays Caleb in a, in a small role in this. But it's a little standard. I have to say, for just when you'd think the movie would be gearing up as it got toward the end, I was kind of losing my steam for it. Right. You know, I wasn't, it didn't hold me with everything that was happening, all the, the, the insanity at the end until the very, very last scene. Right. Like the absolute last scene is when it sort of was like, pulled me back in. Yeah. Um, and you start to see it, boy, there's one woman with the, I don't even know how to describe this, this, this mouth. And I'm guessing this is an actual condition that this woman has. It's like her mouth is just this frozen frown and she, when she talks her lips can barely open or when she was singing you know who i'm talking about jay mm-hmm. yeah i don't know if that was a makeup effect maybe it was but i didn't get the impression that it was yeah yeah if it's not bless um, her heart but yeah it's kind of yeah, unsettling yeah. right i mean it it's... is it really is uh, absolutely um but overall uh, again it, it doesn't break any new ground i don't think um, not with the characters, not with the overall situation. I do think the makeup effects, though, were um, for for the budget. I thought they were very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. What I liked the best were the makeup effects. That was my favorite aspect of it. What I what really knocked me down on this movie, <clears throat> I mean, this would have been a gem for me otherwise, despite the story. But a couple of things that I, drove me absolutely nuts the camera effects they have these filters on it that, that makes it look overexposed it kind of remind me of that film by vin diesel there's been vin diesel in it called pitch black which is a monster movie mm-hmm. and um right. it, it's like they have this color filter over the lens and um and then it like honestly like the last 60 percent of the movie 
is in the dark. It takes place in the dark, and it's just not lit very well. I mean, there are horror films that happen in the dark, but you can still see what's going on. This is not one of those. This is It's hard to see what's happening in the action, like the, the blocking and what happens in the action type of sequences where chaos is going on. It's very disorienting, and maybe that was intended, but I think it's just hard to understand their spatial uh, geography. Right. And that kind of drove me nuts too. Um, There's some humorous dialogue, but the characters are mostly annoying, which we have a lot in horror Mm -hmm. movies. And um, yeah, so I mean, those were the things that that were kind of hard. I mean, I like the fact that they were mutated freaks who lived in a cave. And um, I, I do think, Dave, that the mutants are crazy looking enough and it's intense enough that it's noteworthy as like this oddity. I mean, not many people have heard of or seen Albino Farm. But for me, I think it's kind of one of those like interesting train wrecks. And I give it a four out of 10 for its quality, but I still call it a rental for its oddity uh, factor. You know, I just think it's it's got some neat looking things. And, um, mm-hmm. and we should probably say, I'll just put it out there since this is such a classy episode. Bianca Barnett is a model and actress, and she this is a, um, shall we say, a revealing role for her. So Yes, yes it is. So yes, any, is. <laughs> anyway, I'll just put that out there. But Dave, what do you rate Albino Farm? Uh, better than you, but not much. I'm actually 4.5. <laughs> okay. And um, I'd say it's a, it's a low-priority rental, um, mostly to check out the... Uh, the effects that we're talking about. Uh, but as far as anything else, I think you're going to have seen it, uh, seen it done somewhere else before and probably done a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, I, for example, wrong turn, except, except in wrong turn, you don't necessarily right. have the pig headed right. horror aspect and that's Correct. what we're after. Right, Dave. And did it bother <laughs> you? That the albino farm was not an actual farm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> All right, that's cool. Well, thanks for talking about that one with me. And uh, Josh, does that sound like your your cup of tea right there? Is that something you want to check out? Not a chance in hell. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Maybe so. But you know as well as I do, it takes all kinds of critters to, to make, make Farmer Vincent fritters. fritters. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to, so obviously, speaking of hell, I mean, I think Motel Hell is a great horror film. And I know we've referenced it. And you guys are going to talk about it a little bit later. But I just want to say one more thing about it real quick before I introduce this next one. In terms of pig-headed horror, I mean, clearly it's one of the best. And I think everybody knows that. You know, it, it's not, it doesn't have a lot of pig-headed horror moments in it, but it is a great, like, you know, climactic <laughs> battle scene when you get there. But I do think in terms of a film that has pig-headed horror throughout it, I'm going to talk about two of the better films. And the first one is a little film called Madison County from 2012. really know how to pick a place. You know that, James? Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Come on. 
Do you think it's safe? We'll be fine. Come on. Anybody home? <laughs> Dave, did you see this one? I did. I did get a chance to see Madison County. Okay. Awesome. So um, I may have misspoken earlier, Dave, but uh, like with the episode numbers, but yeah, this was the one that I had talked about in mini review form on the Cutting Heads episode. I think uh, Albino Pharma's episode 17. Nobody cares, but I'm just putting it out there. We, we've talked right. about these a long time ago, but I remember this, the first thing I remember about Madison County is that this film was streaming forever on Netflix in the United States. Like in the horror section, I saw this like constantly. You'll recognize the cover, listeners, if you've had Netflix and you, and you look this up. It's, it's got a, a pig-headed killer standing in the woods, and he's got an axe in his hand. And um, so I was always intrigued. And one night I finally streamed it on Netflix way back when, and I was very pleased. And and even though it's no longer on Netflix, I mean, you can still access it through Amazon Prime, but this was written and directed by Eric England, and basically it has um, a familiar premise. You get this group of college kids. Um, the one is doing a, a, a research project. He's, he's been corresponding with this author who's written a book about this killer, about these murders that have happened in this once again, this rural place in Madison County, there's this killer in the woods that had taken out like all these people. This author wrote about this. And so he's corresponding with the author and he basically takes a little trip with his friends. It's um, three dudes and two girls and they go out to this rural area and you get a very uh, deliverance-esque type of feel where you know <laughs> they don't take too kindly to strangers around here, right? That kind of thing. And, of course, people start getting killed. This is a slasher film, as far as I'm concerned. And you've got a pig-headed killer in the woods. And even though it takes a long time to get going, like it's one of those horror films that opens with a horror-esque scene just to establish the tone and show you what kind of movie you got. And then it takes 45 minutes until the, the first kill. And that's a long time to wait, Dave. But I think once it gets rolling, um, even though some of the things the characters do, obviously, is very nonsensical, I think it's pretty entertaining. What did you think of Madison County? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, if you're into the movie, if you're into the characters, it's not, it's not a long wait. The 45 minutes is not a big deal. I was only kind of into the characters, so mm -hmm. I did feel a little bit of that weight like you like you were experiencing. Right. I thought it was kind of interesting that the fifth wheel in this one, like you had two girls, two guys, and then another guy going along, that it was almost like a reluctant uh, person. He was going really to look after his sister. Um, he didn't like this guy who was there, and the, the sister and the, this guy were dating. So her brother goes along reluctantly. <laughs> and turns out that they're really happy he's there eventually. You know, yeah. you, you you really peg this guy as well. He's just the 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 jerk, um, right? But then he does sort of prove himself at 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 one point. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and I did like um, the look of this killer. I did. I thought that the, yeah, you look at this and you're like, wow, this this is like a this is a slasher. This is like um, mm -hmm. you, you know a sort of uh, much much a lesser 
um, like Jason Voorhees or something like that, but or, or Leatherface even or Leatherface, yeah, right. But still has that same sort of invincibility where you're never quite sure whether he's down or not, you well, know. And and I like that. Yeah, and you get the if I can chime in on what you're saying there, you get the the impression that there might be. I mean, obviously because of he's wearing a pig mask and killing people. But you get the impression there might be a degree, uh, some sort of mental illness there. But what I love in terms of the look of the killer, you've got a very, I love the casting of this actor. You've got a really tall person with an overalls, okay? And you and this person has really long arms and, mm-hmm. and he wears this dirty long sleeve shirt. And the way those, it, they're, it's kind of a gangly type person, like lean and um with these long arms but really tall and big i'm just trying to think of somebody it looks like a vince vaughn type body type mm-hmm. right and and, and the way yeah, this big, definitely big but and all but also lanky too i thought i didn't think it was like real bulky right exactly and you i know, love that sort of lanky so this was um that that character was played by nick um uh principe anyway i i love that dude and i think he did a great job in that role but um but anyways go ahead dave i didn't mean to jump in there i just wanted to comment on the look of the killer it's great that's okay no no problem um as far as the the characters themselves they are along the lines of of more standard um when you start to pig out uh, pig out i can't believe i just said that <laughs> when you start to pick out <laughs> i love it um, i love it you did that. at the beginning <laughs> who you think are going to survive. I like how it's, it's I, at least I did. I always, whenever you get a slasher movie, you think, well, there's the first one. That one's probably second. That one, you know, mm-hmm. but the order was different. It was, it was not what I was expecting. Yeah. I mean, and when you think, you know, who the, the final girl guy, whatever it is, is going to be. Mm-hmm. And when they change that up, I always think that's kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and they do do that in this movie as well. Uh, but other than that, I, I do think it's a little forgettable. I, I don't know that uh, any, there's one kill I thought that was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. I mean, you know, it, 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 uh, I'm not going to go into any detail, but there was one, one of the kill scenes I thought was, was pretty cool. There, uh, but well, there's some that happen off. Like the, there's one that a few of them happen where you're just sort of hearing them. Um, you don't really, you don't really see them and, and they're just a little more standard. Um, and again, I just wasn't as into the characters where it really even mattered as much, uh, what they were experiencing. I, I, I thought the horror was there. I like the fact that when something happens to characters like this and, and they, and other characters don't know. You know, that was a big thing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I always think of that scene where where Sally and, and Franklin are honking the horn trying to get them back to the back to the van. And you're saying they ain't coming back to the van, but they can't leave without them. You know, and, <laughs> and you, you get a, that yeah. degree in this movie as well. Right. Um, which I thought was interesting. And the part with the, the old woman at the diner, that <laughs> didn't really work for me. I thought they went back to that a little too much. Right. Yeah, you've got this older actress, and, and she's just a, a dear little old lady. And, and it you could tell it's somebody's grandma that they cast in a horror film. And, and she's trying to deliver, you know, all her lines. But she still seems like somebody's sweet little grandma trying to be in a horror film. <laughs> 
Right, right. And right. you just can't pull it off. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. Well, but but, but they go but they go back to her like uh, I don't know what four or five times or something like that and you're just you're just like okay, let's move beyond this already. Right. Like the way the, the way they split up in this is very like Scooby Doo like and that's annoying. Yeah. And and the in the way that as you said that they they keep going like to and from and it's almost like okay, this is a low budget thing. Maybe they only had uh, you know, a certain number of locations and probably that's that's what happened there. Something that's very interesting about this film that I think makes it a, a notable slasher, like one that people should actually remember, um, not, you know, not just because of the awesome pig-headed killer, but, but this slasher has three different harbingers of doom. And, and it's pretty cool. I mean, you have three different warnings from three different types of characters. And usually in a slasher, if you have a harbinger of doom, which is very common, there's usually just one. But I mean, these characters had plenty of warning <laughs> that, that they were going to, yeah. you know, get chopped up and hacked up and everything. But, but man, they just, I don't know. They didn't listen. You know how that goes. But right. I, I thought that was pretty cool that you had all those harbingers of doom in a film like this. They, they did have a few of them. Yeah, they, they did have a few saying, hey, this is not what you want to be doing. Um, you know, the, he, he, he'll be on to your scent soon. Um, right. And especially when you're in this community with surrounded by this group of people, they walk into that. Well, first time they walk into this like little restaurant, uh, everybody's staring at them. And I'm talking like a dead silence, not taking their eyes off of them. Mm-hmm. That's usually a key that, this might not be a place I want to, I want to be right. You know, maybe, maybe it'd be a good idea if we, if I left. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent there. Um, so a couple of things you mentioned, there was a kill that you, you didn't want to talk about. I don't know if it's the same one, but there is one that I, I'm willing to talk about. And I just want to talk about the nature of it. And I think that, you know, it's not a spoil. I'm not going to say who it was, but there is one kill that's kind of, I don't know. It's very basic, but man, it bothered me the most of all the kills really upset me. I mean, basically you had a girl in the woods. Um, she gets knocked out. She goes down and she's on her belly and he comes up behind her in the pig max pig mask and just starts chopping the ax into her back when she's tough, when she's, that that was, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, That was the one I was, I was sort of alluding to, I think there's one that's actually a little gorier that happens right before that, mm-hmm. or at least a little more 80s style slasher where they're looking for all different ways of, of taking somebody out. Right. But it wasn't as disturbing as the one you're you're referring to. Yeah. Yeah. You get a little bit of, um, if I may say, a happy birthday to me kind of like shout out maybe, Dave. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's, Pretty cool. Uh, Josh, there is a character in this who wears a Derry t-shirt, D-E-R-R-Y. Cool. And I thought that was kind of neat. And especially since they're returning to this town as this group of friends, I wonder if they were trying to do some kind of it riff. There's another character, and I just love this. This made me smile. There's a character that says, psych. <laughs> I mean, when's the last time you heard that? That was pretty funny. Yeah, to me. really. I don't that's, know why. Uh, I mean, that's you a. Guys aren't up on your eighties. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, 
but this this film, like many slashers, I mean, this were this is a mystery. I mean, you're trying to figure out what's happening, and they're trying to piece things together. Two things, two more things. But it wasn't a. But it wasn't a. It wasn't a very uh, mysterious mystery, right? Uh, if That's... You, I mean, I don't think it was very difficult to sort of piece together what's going on i mean uh we were able to do it well before the characters in this movie and that's normal right in uh, in a lot of these this movies like this to do that um but i don't think th- they just instead of it's you know it's it's one of those type of movies is when it it offers a clue mm-hmm. it's almost as if not the characters look at the clue talk about the clue show each other the clue <laughs> so no, it's it's not really difficult to piece this together. I'm with you. Yeah, I agree with that. Two last things, and then we'll go to the ratings here. Um, that I just want to say about this this pig headed killer. Um, I love how when we first see him, he just kind of like comes out of the woods, just out of nowhere, and and I I love that, and I love that he there's some Michael Myers influence in here. I think because he does this really weird. He does these weird head tilts, and he's he's pretty much silent. There's some grunting, mm-hmm. but when he does the head tilts, the way the pig head looks is very creepy because it's kind of like narrow or thin, and, and so it looks bizarre when you get these head right. tilts, and I, I thought that was a great little touch. Um, so, Dave, I'll just say it like this. I, I I wrote down in my notes this this could be open for a sequel, of course, like many are. And I did read that um, supposedly Madison County Two is in development. Who knows if that'll ever come about? But for me, Madison County from 2012 is a 6.5 out of 10, and Ooh. I call it a rental for pig-headed horror. What do you say, Dave? Um, little kinder than I think it's just above average, and by that I'd say probably a 5.5. <laughs> Right. Um, and I'd say it's worth a rental again, low priority. Um, but if you're looking for pig headed horror, then it's, it's probably one of the better ones. Yeah. It's probably one of the better ones you'll check out. Yeah. 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 And I'm probably being a little, little too nice, but you know, I like pig headed horror. Well, sure. And I said it was above average. I mean, it's yeah. not, I didn't say it was average, you know, and, and it's, it's, it does have, it does have its, its moments. It's, just again, uh, nobody's going to look at this and say, "Wow, that 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 was that was fresh," you know. <laughs> that was. That's fresh. another great slang word. That was fresh, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, that um, was that yeah. one. No, never mind. I was going to I was going to use a modern reference, but I I can't even do it. <laughs> I'm a DJ Jazzy J and the Fresh Dave right here. All right, so uh, let's. Oh, I I, by, by fresh, I, by fresh, I meant original. Uh, maybe I should have used the word original. Got gotcha. you. Yeah, I, that I, was original. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I was just, I was just teasing you. Okay. <laughs> so do, I have to say the, mm-hmm. the mystery aspect is a little bit more intriguing to me. So that's. Well, but Josh, just you wouldn't like this film. I could tell you that, and and the mystery isn't super rewarding or complicated, as Dave yeah, said. Yeah, it would so. it would be like along the lines of if if if. Arthur Conan Doyle would have write Sherlock Holmes and the Butler did it. You know, it's like very obvious, right? All right. But still, I was going to say it sounds totally tubular. 
Oh, dude, yeah, it's rad. Psych. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> I love that. Well done, Josh. Okay, well, let's move into um, one more little, uh, little tiny feature review of a film called Tormented from 2014. Hey, thanks for coming out all this way. Finding a babysitter around here is really cutthroat. The place is beautiful. You take care of my kids. They're your only priority tonight. Can you tell me a story? Once upon a time, there was a little girl named Phoebe. And she lived in a great big castle. And never, ever, ever did she ever see a monster. Kylie Winters, a bully and self-loathing teen, reluctantly agrees to babysit at an isolated country mansion on Halloween night. There's a knock on the door at one point, and, well, actually, there's a, a very bizarre phone call she gets, and then there's a knock on the door, and there's a young boy in a pig's mask with an older adult in a, in a pig's mask, and um, it turns out that they are actually there for a very specific purpose, and Kylie finds herself uh, trying to protect the two children in her care and uh, trying to see if she actually has what it takes. Like they said, she's she's kind of beating herself up over something that happened at the beginning uh, with this guy and this video that's going around her school. Something um, steamy. Just throwing it yeah, out there. Something, for th- something steamy. Yes. Yes. For people who are looking um, for that. Exactly. But and it's really her trying to figure out, hey, um, you know, uh, can I do it? Can I can I do what is expected of me as a babysitter being put in charge of of these kids? Um, this one I did like. I liked this one uh, a little with the I like the home invasion and I liked the characters. Now, it's very strangers esque, if you think about it, you know, with, mm-hmm. with just the way that these characters are. Right. Um. And and even with the little kid, I like I kind of like the addition of the little kid here because the little kid is part of this scheme, and not just a front for it. I mean, this kid is involved; he's deeply involved in what's going on in this in this home invasion and basically an abduction. They're looking to get out of there with everyone. I don't know that they fully explain why. I might have missed it if they do, but it doesn't matter. Right. Because that's not really what the movie's about anyway. The right. movie is about this girl, um, you know, trying to protect these two children, um, what it comes down to. And, um, and I, I did, I liked this one. I did, I did like this one uh, more, a little more than Madison County. Again, I don't think it's perfect. They throw in um, a little twist at the end that I thought I kind of rolled my eyes at. Um, <laughs> and it has to do with our phone calls. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, one of the things that was so great about the strangers is they never really took the mask off or where they did. It was kind of already done. Um, when they start to remove the pig mask, it's a little early and Mm -hmm. I think it kind of undermines the end of the movie. Right. Um, you know, it, it loses its edge, uh, which it does have. I mean, it maintains it for, you know, a, a fair portion. Um, but also, I don't know about the time. I mean, we're hearing about, you know, they, the, the cops are on their way. Um, and they're, you know, we even hear like radio of the, the cops that are this many minutes out and this many minutes out and everything. And, um, it seems like a lot more time 
especially when the cops call for backup. Yeah. Uh, at one point, and it's like, well, how far away is backup? Well, it's 12 minutes. I mean, we're not talking about a town. Yes, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but I didn't get the impression that this place was, you know, that far away from, from this. Is, I mean, this is a pretty ritzy area. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big mansion that this this girl is is. I mean, it looks big from from the exteriors anyway. Yeah, actually, it looks a lot bigger in the exteriors than it looked inside, if you ask me. But um, I would think that. I don't know. I it just seemed like 15 minutes for the cops to get there. Seems a little bit long. For me. <laughs> so, OK, so let me um, if I may, Josh, I have a couple special notes for you that I took just for you, buddy. Because okay. you, you know I love you, and I'm grateful that you have um, <laughs> tolerated pig-headed horror on this episode. But the first thing you should know, and, and I think this speaks to how meant to be this episode was, after, I mean, it was around the time that I'm like cooking up this pig-headed horror-themed episode in my head, I walk into 7-Eleven, $5 movie bin, what do you have on the shelf tormented and it's got a pig headed obviously a pig headed horror mask on the front um yes absolutely five bucks you know i was there i bought it totally and um so so that's the first thing you should know then the next thing that you should know josh is that this is a pig headed horror flick that's set on halloween it's set at halloween and it is it is totally like a, a you know a ripoff in some ways of um of John Carpenter's Halloween, right? Yeah, because you got a babysitter going to babysit some kids, and then you got these, you know. So it's very Halloween influenced that way. I will tell people the AKA for this film. It has an alternate title called Berkshire Berkshire County, which I don't know if people decided. Hey, there's another pig movie called madison county so we shouldn't have berkshire county but some places it does appear that way the other thing i'll tell you about the title it's called tormented now there is a film called torment which has a very similar cover it's like this stuffed animal head that's all sewn up and it looks really similar to the five dollar movie i think what i'll do in the show notes just for fun i'd like to put those covers beside each other just so you can see how similar they are and how similar the titles are i just think it's interesting um this and there is, is and there's also real quick there's a burt i gordon movie from 1960 called tormented as well mm-hmm, that's I right think called tormented uh, that has nothing at all to do with the the no similarities at all to this tournament yeah and this is uh yeah 2014 movie the other thing that i think makes this a notable pig-headed horror flick is that it has a female director as directed by Audrey Cummings. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, how many pig-headed horror flicks do you have um, from a lady director? And I thought that was kind of cool. So, so I feel like Josh well, like, is warming I guess, up. I guess, I guess we have one. I guess we have one. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know? <laughs> That's... That's right. And the other thing, and Dave, you said this, but I just want to underscore it to make sure the listeners caught this very clearly. There are three different people, um, you know, a woman in a pig mask, a man in a pig mask, and a a child in a pig mask, which is interesting. So you have a pig-headed horror movie that has a kid pig-headed horror character. <laughs> just, it's like a, it's like, it's like a, uh, it's like a uh, small pig family. 
Exactly. Exactly. You know you're a fan of the nuclear family, so it's nice that we get the pig version of that. That's right. That's right. Right. And and for being kind of a a small, like, indie-type film, um, this has a remarkable number of helicopter shots in the beginning. Like, they actually rented, apparently they had a helicopter (laughs) Mm -hmm. for filming some of this, and I was really surprised by that. Um, The other thing, there is a... There is a little bit of a pig motif in this, unlike the other ones, where they, this family has like a business, I guess. They drive around in this truck that says, eat pork, good to the last oink. So there is some sort of pig oh. role. <laughs> what, Josh? You didn't like that? That's just not a very appetizing way to sell it if you're trying to <laughs> no, sell No, it's not. Me. Exactly. Good to the last oink. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, anyways, well, meat's meat. Man's got to eat. <laughs> right. Right. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that's uh, that's a couple things I I think that are are notable about this. Um, and you know, I think it's comp. It's pretty close to Madison County. I couldn't decide which of the two I really wanted to feature. So, I'm grateful that you did this one with me, Dave. This, I will tell listeners, this is available on Amazon Prime, so you could watch it there. It's called Tormented 2014. And for me, Dave, uh, I'm just going to put it out there here. Um, I'll just try to see what what I wrote down in my notes. You know, I'm coming in at like a six. Six out of ten on this, and I call it a rental. I kind of dug it. So I hope people will check out Tormented. When you get time, no huge rush. <laughs> what do you say, uh, David? I'm actually the same as you. I like this one better than Madison County, but just barely. Uh, I do think it has some issues. Um, but as home invasion goes, it also has some, you know, some good scenes. And I liked the, um, the, the trio, the, the pig family that uh that invades this house i thought that it was interesting the way it was set up uh, again a really a groaner of a twist towards the end for me anyway it really just i was like oh and the mask come off a little too soon and um but yeah i i, I like i'd say this one's a low priority rental as well so mm-hmm. you know funny we're not getting any strong recommendations out of pig-headed horror <laughs> except for motel hell in, right coming in well well yeah motel hell At- you know but i i i don't know that that would be i mean there's a there's a scene with pig-headed horror it's not exactly the these mm. ones these other ones it's a main like throughout the movie right but. exactly yes that's a good point yeah, so so that's uh, Dave and I both say six. Dave calls a low yeah. priority rental, and I call it a when you get to it kind of rental. But uh, one last little dumb fact, and this is totally dumb, but uh, you know how there's Madison County, and this one is Berkshire County. Well, in this film, there's a, a an actress. One of the actors, <laughs> her name is Madison. So that's a very loose loose connection. But anyways, <laughs> so moving on. Finally, that's that's, huh, that's 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 a fact. It's fascinating, isn't it? So, anyways, absolutely. I didn't. I have to say, I didn't make that connection. Very good. I know. I know. I'm just putting it all together here tonight. So uh, now is the moment you've all been waiting for. I, you know, I'm seeing feedback where people really enjoy this segment. So let's move into collector's crypt. All right, well, this time on the Collector's Crypt, we are dealing with uh, 
some fritters and some critters and uh, <laughs> Motel Hell once again. This is the Shout Factory release of Motel. There was a minute where I thought we should cover Twilight People because that Blu-ray um, is pretty decent and it ha- that's a film with a bunch of people with all different types of animal heads. But then, of course, it occurred to me, well, Motel Hell is probably the the obvious choice here, especially since there's a really great Shout Factory, Scream Factory release. Yeah. And it is a beautiful release. I don't know if you've seen that, Jay. The uh, I have not seen that particular version of it, and I, I need to. So, no. Sorry. I, I will say it looks way better than the DVD version. It's I still bet. not a great transfer. I don't know if it's just because the original... This is not a restoration, but it is a transfer from what I assume is the original master. It just you have to think that that original print's not looking great because there's a lot of artifacts here, a lot of specs, but the detail, the color, it all looks much, much better than the DVD version I had before, which was kind of one of those multi-discs that had this and another movie on it. I can't remember what the other movie was, but... Um, uh, deranged is what it was. Deranged, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Wow, you guys are right. Yeah, I, I own it. I own it. So. I own oh, okay. that one too. Yeah, yeah, I did too. And this looks much better than that. But but I still don't think it's fantastic. I think what is fantastic about it are the special features. Um, we get a couple things that are reused, you know, from previous installments. Um, a little documentary about Ida Smith. Um, we have interviews with the actors. But this has brand new interviews with the director, producers, writers, um, actor Mark Silver, and stunt coordinator Gene Hartline. It also has a brand new audio commentary, and those are fantastic. And Neat. the sound is great. I think this, and it's got really cool art as well. I love the art. Um, That's one thing Scream Factory and Shout Factory are great for, especially Scream Factory, the the the, the covers that they come out with for all of their releases, the fog Prince of darkness. They all look great. I think as we talk about peg headed horror, if we're going to pick one classic film, in my opinion, it's got to be motel hell. (laughs) This is probably, and now I I will say I haven't seen any of the other ones, but based on your descriptions of it, (laughs) (laughs) this is one we've talked about a lot on the show in passing. Um, We've talked about this during our eighties slasher episodes. And we talked about this during our cannibal episode so it's it's had some coverage on the on the podcast but mm-hmm. i think as 80 slashers go this is one of the must owns you yes. know if you're a fan of that genre this is definitely one to pick up it is more comedy than i would guess jay would like but i know jay likes this movie um mm-hmm. how do you feel about the comedy in this movie jay well uh, to me okay you're right i mean it is meant to be like kind of dark comedy or satirical but but for me honestly it it just seems twisted or sick, so like quote unquote sick, you know, minded or something, and so I feel like it adds to the creepiness factor of it, and so it doesn't bother me as much because it's not like ho oh, oh, you know, you know what I mean. It's just kind of weird and bizarre. Yeah. So it's got a little John Watersy kind of vibe to it <laughs> yes. from the yeah. comedy. Yeah, right, right. So like, I would agree with that, and I would be remiss right. to not mention that it features Wolfman Jack. Yes, that's right. Wolfman Jack has a small, uh, small part in this. And also one of the things that always gets me about this is their garden and just the, the noise oh. made by 
the people in in this garden. I think that's one of the things that stays with you with the, from this movie is that sort of uh, you know that like they're trying oh. to talk and they're unable to do so and uh, just buried and uh, that is <laughs> that's what I always think of when I think of Motel Hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very disturbing. So um. Okay, so obviously it sounds like you guys recommend this Scream Factory uh, Blu-ray release right. of it. And, the, and there's, again, like we were saying, it's just the very end that the pig head comes into play. You know, it's the yeah. very end of the movie. So I think what we're finding, Jay, if we were to come away with something from this episode, is that when it comes to pig-headed horror, less is more. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me, but yeah, I mean, I could see where maybe someone like Josh might feel that way. But man... Give well, me. I like the use of it in this movie, but it is one of those things where this movie leaves you wanting more, and it sounds like that's not right. always the case. You know, I think <laughs> right. I, I, I can right. see why a fan of Motel Hell would say, "Well, I'm going to make a movie with pig heads throughout." <laughs> yes, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I think this is a this is a great '80s kind of like we talked about with Demon Wind in the last episode. To me, this is just if if you haven't seen it, this is one of those. 80s movies that just makes you go what in the world am i watching this is crazy exactly yeah right yeah so i appreciate it on that level and yeah and again very nice release here from shout factory and scream factory which i recommend picking up wholeheartedly i think it's a great release Mm-hmm. I back in our our good buddy uh, Greg Amortis from Land of the Creeps. He loves this film. This is one of his all time favorites. It yep, sure it, he, He's even got tattoos of it on his body. Yep. And I'll tell you what I, I remember. What I remember this movie when I was a kid and we first got cable. We we got our cable guide, and I remember looking at the picture that they had in the cable guide, and I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was the pig head. I I don't. Re- but it. It really freaked me out. I mean, this was a movie it took me a while to get around to see because of the picture they used in the cable guide. And yeah. I'm looking at it, I'm like, whoa. And I, so, I mean, like, I didn't have that same reservation with other ones. But with Motel Hell, it took me a little while. I mean, I did eventually see it on cable, but it took me a little while to sort of work up the courage for it because of that picture that they showed. It just really, it really got under my skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you don't get a lot of that in the movie, so it, it is kind of one of those grindhouse era films where exactly, yeah, and it, is probably a lot more gruesome than what you'll actually get when you watch what it. they were, yeah, what they were doing to to sell it. Because when I watched the movie, it was not anywhere near as disturbing as I was assuming it was going to be from that picture, but right. uh, I still, you know, still enjoyable. I I will say though, I think that. This is similar to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in that if someone isn't initiated into horror, if they're not like a regular horror fan and you wanted to disturb that kind of person, <laughs> I think this could potentially really freak somebody out. It's a great oh, one for absolutely. that. So, oh, definitely. Yeah, Don't show this to your kids. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. I mean, Right, yeah. But for me, this is, Motel L, um, I mean, it sounds like I, sh- I need to get the Scream Factory Blu-ray. I'm not really a Blu-ray guy as much, but like, but um, I do own the DVD version that you were talking about. It's it's a must-own, obviously. And I forget, we've rated this previously. I forget what I rated, but it was very high, like in the 9, 9.5 range, something like that, I assume. Yeah. So yeah. you guys agree with that? Is it pretty high on your it's up there? I don't remember what I rated it before, but yeah, it's up there. Definitely. 
And it's I probably wouldn't rate it that high at all, but I, but it is one of those things with a lot of these 80s slashers where my objective rating might be low, but my recommendation is high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this blue and this and the Scream Factory. I don't know if there's of any Scream Factory out there that I that I wouldn't want to own uh, just because they do such a great job with it. Yeah, they're really good about putting out the best version you've ever seen of this. I, I think they do have trouble with their transfers. I think they look kind of digital mm-hmm. sometimes. And, you know, they aren't one of these companies that does restorations necessarily. But the one thing you can always say is based on the titles are getting, this is probably the best ver- looking version of this movie you're ever going to see or probably that's ever existed. On right. The so. That was like when I was going back and forth with someone. Um, of, they were talking about night of the the night of the living dead criterion, and everyone's you know they they just came out with the new uh, restoration on Blu-ray, and people were saying it's not uh, doesn't look that great. It doesn't. I the original elements play a big part in that. I mean, you can only yeah. clean up a movie so much, and George Romero filmed that on you know very obviously there was a specific type of stock he used. You're not going to clean it up any better than uh, than than I think they did in that version of night of the living dad. I mean, it looks yeah. good and I don't know that you want it any cleaner than that, that movie. You mm-hmm. only have what's remains to work with, you know, some exactly. of those films, they've really gone to the ends of the earth to restore like a film like vertigo. Right. But not every movie they're going to work that hard to find <laughs> the one pristine reel somewhere exactly. in Indiana and, marry that exactly. with the other half of the film from Paris and you know it's just not every movie is going <laughs> to warrant that kind of restoration process right mm-hmm. right great choice you guys for collector's crypt it fit perfectly with the pig-headed horror theme tonight i got to mention this here this is i'm talking to Trey Whetstone our good friend Trey i i just want Trey to know this um, we were we were talking about ratings a minute ago and what we rated Motel Hell in the past. I'm sure Trey has that because um, in our next Frankensteinian episode, the next one coming up, I have got a very special surprise for you, Wolfman Josh and Dave, Doctor Shock. Trey put together this incredible assessment of ratings of like our ratings history and some stats on this podcast. It's really going to be fascinating to you guys, I think. Maybe the listeners won't find it as fascinating, or maybe they'll find it as a good reason to make fun of us about things, particularly me. <laughs> but you're going to be amazed. And so, Trey, I just wanted you to know, nice. I, I, I wrote Trey back and told him how grateful I was that he did this. But but in our Frankensteinian episode, we're going to be covering that, and um, it's going to be cool. a blast. So thank you very much. All right. One other quick thing for our Frankensteinian episode. We... Uh, mentioned this last time, but we are giving away a Blu-ray of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 40th Anniversary Edition and Get Out. And in order to qualify for the drawing for those, all you need to do is have left a rating and review on iTunes for Horror Movie Podcasts, preferably a five-star review. We appreciate that. And we will just draw from those people who have left a review we will do that on our next Frankensteining episode, giving away those two Blu-ray discs. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, if we're talking about prizes right now, can I can I throw out a prize that I would like to contribute to the audience that I love so much? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, if you guys don't mind, just real quick, I want to say in honor 
of pig-headed horror. <laughs> And and in my desire to like put this out there as some sort of horror trend or a movement, I would love it if you guys and girls, if you retweet and promote this episode, because also we're going to be giving you our review of A Quiet Place on here. So it helps get that out there, too. If you retweet it, then what we'll do, I will randomly pick one person. And if you're the winner, I will send you a pig headed horror mask. I will order it and send it to you as a prize. How's that sound? That's pretty impressive. And and you have to send send us a picture of yourself wearing the mask or somebody wearing the mask, depending on. Yeah. That would be, uh, yeah, that's that's really cool. (laughs) That'd be amazing. One of the weirdest things we've ever done. This is so weird. Is April officially (laughs) pig-headed horror month now? Oh, yeah. Every year. This will be Every year. You know, we we have our our horror cinema awards. We're going to have to do pig-headed horror every April. You know it. I'm just kidding. I would never do that to Josh. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to Josh. But anyways, no, that, that, I don't know that. I mean, we've seen the best of pig-headed horror here. I don't know that you know, unless 2018 is is the year of pig-headed horror. Maybe uh, I don't see us coming up with anything in 2019 that's that's going to top top this episode. Well, we mentioned a lot in the beginning that I still want to catch up with, like um, you know, the farm and and some of those that one Korean movie. So I'm I'm still mm-hmm. going to try to catch up with a few titles and listeners. If I do find some great pig-headed horror, don't worry, you'll be the first people that I tell about. Absolutely, it. pig-headed horror to I mean- the return of pig-headed horror. I do think it's a shame that we haven't talked about either of the two franchises that have done pig-headed horror. I mean, you know, to to really do this right, you need to hear some reviews of Saw and Porkchop. Right. That's true. But, I, you know, I figured as well, I mean, I figured we'll, we'll get around to the Saw franchise. And I actually am interested in doing that franchise. So, sure. yeah, we'll definitely get to that. And, yeah, maybe... Pork chop, yeah, shoot. Uh, even though, even though it's comedy, yeah, and, um, or we do pork, we do pork chop before Leprechaun. I mean, really, for sure, <laughs> for sure. I have no doubt about that. Okay, guys. So um, now uh, that kind of concludes the pig-headed horror portion theme <sighs> of our episode. Josh made it through, and. And now, yeah, he did. He, he survived. And now we have uh, a couple of feature reviews of new 2018 films for you here in case you were like Josh and didn't really want to hear about pig-headed horror for two hours. <laughs> so let's move into Josh's feature review of Ghost Stories. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Professor Philip Goodman. <coughs> my job is to explain the unexplainable, untangle the truth from the fiction. You don't have to have your life ruled by superstitious fear. Everything you have spent a lifetime trying to debunk the supernatural. It's all true. Three cases I couldn't explain. You go and investigate if you dare. These are signs. I know you're still there. The spirit. The brain sees what it wants to see. Guys, I'm super excited about Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories is a 2018 film. It's directed by Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman, written by Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman, and based on the stage play. And it's it's interesting. This is one of those films that you will not appreciate, Jay, where you really, the more you know kind of about the backstory of the film, the more you kind of appreciate what it is. 
basically, mm-hmm. um, Andy Nyman was working in theater in, in England and he's walking by the woman in black production. And he thought, how weird is it that there isn't more horror in the theater? And so he kind of came up with a, this idea of three different people telling ghost stories to the audience, but then putting the audience in the situation of kind of experiencing that horror within the theater. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it was this big hit and that played all over and the world. It was like a worldwide hit actually. And then, you know, very soon after that, the film, the theater makers, I don't know what you call that. The people responsible for the play started being approached to do it as a film by Hollywood. They weren't going to be able to do it kind of the way they wanted to. So they waited until they could kind of do it on their own terms. And that's what we have now. We have this film on their own terms. And what it essentially has become then is an anthology piece. We have these three different ghost stories. And then there's kind of a linking overarching story as well. Now, I think what's interesting about this is um, the overarching story. And I think what's not great about this is how those three separate stories fit into the overarching story (laughs) for me personally. Mm -hmm. Now, again, if you imagine seeing this on stage, it kind of changes your whole thought process about it. I can really imagine seeing this in a, in a live theater and thinking, wow, what an incredible experience this is being able to feel like what it would be to be in these horror moments. Um, Watching it in a movie, some of it, especially the first story just feels like kind of a typical horror trope kind of a thing, you know? So what you have here is this professor, Philip Goodman played by Andy Nyman. And Andy Nyman is someone you'd recognize probably um, mainstream-wise, people would recognize him from maybe Peaky Blinders, or he was recently in The Commuter, or um, the Frank Osdome Death at a Funeral. Horror fans will recognize him from Severance, is the thing that I really recognize him the most from. Um, he was also in that Dead Set miniseries, which was great. And um, The Brothers Bloom, he has a small part, but very memorable for me. Mm-hmm. You know, well, anyway, um, Andy Nyman is the star and co-writer, co-director, and he plays this professor who is a guy who debunks skeptics. And one day he gets a message from the person who had inspired him uh, to debunk skeptics, another guy who was doing it like in the 70s and 80s and mysteriously disappeared. He gets this message from this guy, and he says, hey, I'm still alive. I've seen your work, and I need to talk to you. And so he goes to meet this guy and the guy says, there are three mysteries that I've never been able to solve, never been able to debunk. And I need you to do it before I die, essentially to prove to me that the supernatural stuff that I've been debunking doesn't exist. Neat. So he takes on that task and then he goes and then we interact. And then those three different ghost stories become our anthology series, essentially. Nice. The problem is, for me is that he doesn't really interact with the horror in those situations. He's being told the stories and then we flash back into the anthology story of those people experiencing the story, Mm -hmm. like experiencing the horror moments, but he's not really experiencing it with them 
at least not until the third one. The first two, and especially the first one, is almost completely removed from that experience. We don't really get his interaction with it at all. And so for me, that was hugely problematic because we're just seeing this removed from this overarching story of he's supposed to be figuring out the secret to it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really didn't work for me. They find a way to explain that and make it work in the end. But it's, I would, I felt like it was just a little unsatisfying during the course of watching the film. The best part about this, we are going to be talking about Jim from the American office in a minute here. <laughs> this movie features Tim from the British office, which is exciting. <laughs> Martin Freeman. Nice work. And Martin Freeman is fantastic in this movie. He's, a, and, he's great. I always like him in everything. I, I like him a lot. He's a good actor. And, and I don't know if you guys watch Sherlock Holmes, but he's so good in that. I yes, love he him. Is. He plays Watson. That's he's what incredible. I'm thinking. Yeah, he's excellent in that. Amazing. Yeah. Andy Nyman is our main character, um, and so he's with us throughout, and he's great the whole time. Paul Whitehouse, who's kind of a legend of British comedy, is the guy in the first one. I really didn't like that story, if I'm being honest. And um, Alex Lothar, who is this young actor who is in our second story, he's probably best known from um, playing the young Alan Turing in The Imitation Game. He's mm-hmm. also in Black Mirror. Um, Holy crap, he was incredible in this. He plays someone descending into insanity better than anyone I've ever seen. I mean, he just did it so well. Mm. He also, his story, I started to say, okay, here we go now. We we go into his world and we feel like um, Professor Goodman, Andy Nyman's character, is now in danger. Like he's in the world of the site of the supernatural but then again we just leave that immediately we go to almost a seemingly unrelated event when you're like well this guy's house is scary enough like why are we having to leave to see a separate um (laughs) supernatural story he's living in a nightmare (laughs) but uh anyway that's so so those are the types of things that you're like oh yeah i can see how this wouldn't feel as disjointed in the theater but it did feel for me kind of disjointed as a film cinematically Hmm. it was perfect like in terms of all of the technical aspects it was gorgeous well acted um if you want to talk about the feelings of tension and fear it does it perfectly but i did feel like um just the basic structure of the screenplay for horde for me didn't work like it just didn't tie the premise together very well and to me as we're going to be talking about probably a little bit with the quiet place here in a minute to me the premise is kind of everything in a film like this Mm -hmm. and so to have such a great premise and then not utilize it very well that was a big problem for me Uh, i mean in terms of really making all of these things impactful and also i've there are some elements to me that felt like a bit of a cheat but um but the cinematography is fantastic. The sound design, you are scared the whole time. But if you're a thinking viewer, you're also kind of like, well, why is this happening? Why is that happening? What, you know, what's, how does this connect? And I couldn't get out of that headspace when I was watching. So that, that's why I'm talking about it so much. It was just a frustrating kind of experience because I'm thinking, this is so good. What does this have to do with? <laughs> how does this fit in with the thing? You know? And so that, that was kind of frustrating. 
Um, What's the pacing like in this, Josh? I mean, is it, I know it's drama horror, but like, is it, does it move along pretty well or is it like a slower burn? Um, I think it's great when it's reflecting the theme. And I think it, again, it gets kind of loses its way when we're like, okay, let me give you an, uh, for example, we start out and he meets, um, so Paul Nyman's character, the professor Goodman meets this guy, Tony Matthews played by Paul Whitehouse. And when he meets him, it's really fascinating. You're meeting this guy. He's had this traumatic experience. He doesn't want to talk about it later. We meet that guy's priest. Um, and they have this interaction and that stuff. You're like, okay, this is cool. This is an investigation. But then when we actually see his horror experience, it's super scary, but it's also just so basic in terms of the, the way the horror is working. Mm-hmm. You'll be scared, but it's just not doing anything that interesting or new. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, the second story that we get into with Alex Lothar's character, Simon Rifkind, it starts out and you're in his home and it's terrifying. And then we kind of flash back to the, you know, his ghost story and that just didn't work for me at all. Like it's just completely separate from the thrust of what's going on. Now the third story with Martin Freeman was perfect. Uh, that beginning to end completely worked for me. I loved every minute of it, but I wish mm-hmm. Alex Lothar's scene had kind of stayed more with him. And I wish the Paul Whitehouse scene had spent a lot more time with him in the present moment, you know, in kind of the investigatory moment. Um, to answer your question about pacing, yeah, the pacing's great, and it's scary the whole time. Like cool. the this movie does fear and tension very well, and it really um, teases out those moments so that it's kind of unbearably suspenseful. That's awesome. Now I see this. Uh, does it hit theaters in uh, like April twentieth? Is that the that's right. regular release? So, okay. Yeah, so, so it's about a week from now. Um, okay, as we're cool recording this but um yeah definitely one to check out I, I i recommend it and i would give this one probably uh i'm gonna say 7.5 mm-hmm. and that's really all of those points lost for me are really just down to the structure of the story i think it's a great film to see in the theaters though because it will scare you um you'll be tense you'll jump You'll have dread, all of those types of things. Um, it's beautifully ma- made. It's com- incredibly acted, top to bottom, and it's beautifully shot. Sound design is excellent. So all of those technical aspects are there, but just the overriding story, which I'm so into, just did not tie together well for me throughout. It, it, it's able to pull it together by the end, and it works by the end, but just throughout, it just didn't work for me as well. So um, once it hits uh, Blu-ray, though, are you going to be purchasing Ghost Stories? Yeah, I think I will, and I'm really curious um, to learn more about it because, like I said, the the backstory of this is so fascinating, and I think this is one that will benefit a lot from like the special features and, mm-hmm. and all that. This is also like the film we're going to talk be talking about soon. I think this is a really good film for mainstream audiences. This is a really good film to watch with family if you have to like 
have your aunts and uncles over on Halloween and they want to watch a scary movie. Mm-hmm. This is one that's palatable, you know? Okay. It's still scary. You're going to be scared the whole time, but it's not disturbing and disgusting. There's nobody wearing a pig head, that kind of thing. <laughs> Come on. So I, I see that it's not rated at this point. Like what, what would it be just ballpark? Just so we have a sense of it. It's a good question. I don't remember what the language is like. There's nothing overtly gory in the film, but it is very scary. So I think you could get away with a PG-13, assuming there's not a lot of F-bombs, which I don't remember. Okay. I got you. So uh, Ghost Stories from 2018. Wolfman says it's a 7.5 out of 10. See it in the theater and buy it, right? Yep. All right. Thanks, Josh. All right, and at this point in episode 144 of Horror Movie Podcast, let's move into our feature review of A Quiet Place. Quiet Place is a 2018 film directed by John Krasinski of Jim Halpert fame. <laughs> it's uh, it's co-written by Brian Woods and Scott Beck, wrote the original screenplay and then was rewritten by John Krasinski as well. It stars Krasinski and his wife in real life, Emily Blunt, as well as two fantastic child actors, Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe. And it is about a family living in a post-apocalyptic world. And they have to be really quiet or else bad stuff happens. And the movie unfolds bit by bit and you learn how they're staying alive and how the threat works very slowly over the course of the film. If you see this in the theater, you're staying as quiet as you can because you don't want to be the jerk who <laughs> who breaks the silence and, and, and upsets those around you. Mm-hmm. That was definitely the case in my theater. It was the most silent movie-going experience I've ever had. People were <laughs> completely quiet. People were eating their popcorn like... <laughs> right, same. <laughs> like not wanting to ruffle you know, their candy wrappers and you know, shake their ice in their cups. I mean, it was quiet. Same. Of course, the movie isn't completely silent. It it's a quiet film, but there's score and there are some big scare moments and jump scares and mm-hmm. a whole lot of tension going on. So yeah, uh, that's, that's the basics. And Jay, I understand you quite liked this film. <laughs> <laughs> I know I try. I'm sorry. I apologize to everybody out there. I really try not to like overhype and oversell. I mean, it's a real problem but when i love a movie you guys like i love it hard i rub it on my nipples and everything <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm, I'm just playing oh man i i might did not do that, that <laughs> there is a, a mental picture that i just can't lose there's a there's a way to start off a review about a nice family yeah film. i know right <laughs> i'm just uh, so in all seriousness though um so for people who haven't seen this yet um, we're going to be giving a non-spoiler portion of the review, obviously. And then after we do ratings, we'll go into spoilers for those who would like to hear that. So just to give you the heads up there. But but Josh, that was a great premise. And and 
I had the same theater experience. I actually saw it twice in the theater. And As did I. Yeah. Oh, awesome. See, and oh, that's so cool. And in both experiences, I had the same exact scenario that you described. And and it was incredible because as um and what's here's what's interesting about it. Yes, it was quiet and I didn't want to disturb those around me. So like when I'm taking notes and I have to turn the page, you know, that was really difficult mm-hmm. for me during this. Yeah. But also, moreover, I mean, as you could tell from the premise that, you know, if the characters in the film are loud, then that leads to peril, that leads to their endangerment. And so part of it, honestly, was this psychological thing where I was worried that if I made noise, that I would call down trouble upon the characters in the film, even. That's how immersive hmm. it, it was for me. But yeah. it has a psychological effect, for sure. Mm-hmm. Dave, what was your theater-going experience like? It was uh, along the same lines as, as uh, the both of you, everybody being very quiet, and I was the one with the popcorn. And I was <laughs> going very, yeah, trying to be very quiet because I guess the movie just makes you aware of that, aware of um, of noise. And, and but, I mean, it wasn't, a, I think there were only like, I saw it at, at 1230 today, which is Wednesday, you know, 1230 in the afternoon, and, and I was one of maybe 12 people in the theater. So it wasn't that hard, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. a big crowd. Yeah. Um, but everybody was, you know, even come to think of it, no, no coughing, clearing of throats, even that I, re- that I can recall everybody just being very, very quiet. So, yeah. So you got a sense of it too, even with 12 people. Yeah. Like in, in both of the screenings I went to, they were packed, um, almost completely sold out. And so like, wow. you know, it was really even in that bigger group. But I heard horror stories, and I use that in quotes, of people in screenings with really inconsiderate jerk face people. And 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 I can't I can't even imagine seeing this movie and somebody ruining it like that. It would be it would become much more obvious in this sort of film, you know, when um if if two people are talking or someone brings a baby or something along those lines. You know, I think in, in this movie, it would, it, it would definitely, it would affect you more. And I'm not saying it affects in every movie, mm-hmm. but in this movie, especially, I think you would, you'd notice it like right away. Mm-hmm. Did you guys think that it was pretty remarkable? Um, as Josh said, it's not completely a silent film or anything, but the degree to which it resembles a silent film of the, you know, the pre-talkie era where, you know, you have characters using sign language, American sign language. And so there are subtitles, you know, not title cards in this sense, but, but you know, the, the audio that you hear for much of the film is either like just soundtrack music or, you know, uh, Foley, I guess. <laughs> did, did you think of it that way? Do you think that this could be categorized on some level or to some degree a silent film? Mm, no. <laughs> I mean, like I said, to some degree, not not 100%, but... It, I mean, it's an interesting use of silence, you know, yeah. and I think, but, but even when it's silent, there are oftentimes noises that they're dealing with. And, and unlike most films from the silent era, sound is kind of the point of... of of the scenes. And so when mm-hmm. there is silence, you're keenly focused on it as opposed to just being a product of the technology that's being used. So, I mean, 
Yes and no. I don't. I don't think you're experiencing it in any way the same way that audiences would have experienced the silent film. Interesting. Okay. No, I, and I and and it's funny how you become more uh, alert to every sound, like footsteps along a dirt path, or just just the slightest thing. Place the 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 moving of of medicine on a shelf. How you can how those sounds sort of play into it, and, and you become aware of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really interesting how they were able to to accomplish that. And I don't know if um, I'm what I was wondering if they were like, were they amplifying those sounds a little bit or, or is that just the, the natural ambiance? You know, because I did become very aware of even those, the, even the, the, the most minimal sounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, the film felt very sound designed to me, but in a good way. It felt yeah. Very Agreed. aware of the sound design. Yeah, and I agree, and I think that it, it was all relative, of course. I mean, when they would have the the small sounds of like a pill bottle on a shelf, it would be very quiet. Otherwise, like in in throughout the scene, so right. so it lent it lent itself to that. But um, so uh, okay, I I agree. I, I guess what I said wasn't a hundred percent accurate, but I do think it's at least surprising to have a film in 2018 that has so little dialogue really like traditional or conventional dialogue what we're used to and for it to be so so effective and 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 speaking of the effect i mean i I would think it would be more surprising if it weren't the premise of the film is the only thing i would say to that because i think there are a lot of films that are this quiet and they are art house films and they frustrate viewers like a jerry or even more mainstream that I know was a big influence on for John Krasinski on his film, like no country for old men. You know, I think there are movies like that, but we typically think of them as art house fair. In this case, the premise of the film is silence. And so I think it actually adds suspense and drama in ways that a lot of films, Mm -hmm. probably people complain about that as an issue with the film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I weren't so engaged, this, this might be, the kind of film or a film of that sort with that degree of silence and quiet, I would probably go to sleep during it. Like, you know, but, but this, I was wide eyed the whole time. And I like what you said, Josh, because the very premise of the film is, is based upon that. And, and this is what we're seeing um, recently in horror. I feel like, thank heavens, there has been a return to form in, in that we get down to the, the primal characteristics uh, of fear like for example lights out we've we've talked about before how that was like revisiting fear of the dark and so the the whole premise to that was to make you afraid of the dark again and i love how this is another elemental uh key aspect that you need for survival you need to know how to um be silent and be quiet and i love that in a premise that involves children and particularly children in peril it's impossible to keep kids quiet. Anybody who has kids knows that. But uh, so yeah. the, the thing I wanted to say is I think that it's neat. Um, I bet you or I hope to see horror directors like return to this picking one simple element of something that you need to live like like light or sound or like uh, water maybe or warmth or love like other people like all these like elements or just solely food and then basing the entire horror premise around that i think it's super cool absolutely yeah i agree 
Yeah, it's our most base human instincts, and I think horror works really well in those places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so I think the um, one of the biggest reasons that I love this so over the moon as I did was because they actually um, employed suspense once again in horror. I mean, I think we went through, and I'm not dissing on the genre, of course, but I think we did go through a period, a long period, where we shifted away from like Hitchcockian suspense, and then we just went into like shock, you know, like like let's show a bunch of gore or let's show something, you know, very transgressive, like something that would just shock you or or just jump scares. But this film, the two most prominent things it has for me, you guys, are uh, dread and suspense. I mean, I I was just dreading every moment in a good way. I was just scared to death because of the dread and the suspense I was feeling. What about you guys? I I agree. I mean, it, it was like a relentless intensity that each time something happened, you're just kind of like, you know, wow, what more can go wrong? <laughs> and something more would go wrong. I mean, it, it just, it was not, it just kept building and building and building on itself. Um, and, that's actually and, one of my biggest complaints with the film. I think it, kind of cheats the audience a bit in those moments so what do you mean josh could you expand on that a little bit well i think you've identified this theme of silence and you know and if you if you make a sound you die that's such a great premise for a horror film and as someone who loves premises i think my favorite thing about that is seeing all of the possibilities of the those premises teased out and so seeing every possible way in which that premise can be utilized within the world of the film and the better use, the more exciting it is. They have some great uses of that here, but then I feel like they also just had kind of what Dave said, what else can go wrong? And a lot of that didn't really have to do with sound and the times that it didn't to me just felt kind of cheap, you know, or they seemed like moments that didn't make, I guess, I guess the reason I say it felt cheap is I think you could have, this could have been scary, and this is a very, very mild, mild spoiler for the film, because you find this out within the first three minutes. Um, Emily Blunt's character is pregnant, and that alone creates enough dread and suspense that you don't really need to add, and then they were away for the day, and then this terrible accident occurred, and then this person was like, it, that's enough with our premise to make it absolutely miserable and so I, I think to add in those things, just, I don't know, just wasn't as exciting for me as it could have been. I also felt like there were scenes that just felt like, oh, John Krasinski kind of grew up in the Midwest or, or low, you know, there's like kind of this Midwest porn a little bit in the film where it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, I bet it would be really scary to set a scene in this location. Right. And that location doesn't enhance any of the horror, you know, that the, that the premise created, it's just kind of a typical horror scene in a lot of ways. And when it could have enhanced it, they actually, it was a missed opportunity because the location that I'm very vaguely referring to Mm -hmm. actually has the possibility to hugely increase the sound issues in the movie, but they don't even deal with that at all. It's almost like they just ignore that element of it. And Mm so, the, those were the things that I just thought, well, why include that? Why not just, you've got such a great thing going here. It just seemed a little cheap to me. So it sounds like your complaint is it was a little contrived. You're saying that they stacked peril on top of 
peril. Like they were already in peril, but then they stacked more upon it to like escalate it. And you felt like that was a little bit too unbelievable or something. Um, and just not just that it didn't have anything to do with the premise of the film. It just, it would have been more interesting and effective to me mm-hmm. if they had just relied on that premise. Cause it was scary. And like I said, just Emily Blunt being pregnant in this situation is scary enough. Yeah. You can come up with enough things directly tied to sound with that circumstance <laughs> that you don't need any of the other contrivances. Okay. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's all I'm saying. I got you. Okay. I, it I took me. I was out of the movie at those moments. I was just kind of like waiting for them to be over a little bit. You know? mm-hmm. huh. Dave, I can't say I was. I I can't say I. Uh, I was. Uh, I had that same uh, reaction to it only because now I, you guys have the benefit of seeing it twice. I've seen it. I've seen it just the once, and I was like pulled in the whole time. Um, you know, yeah. The, I I see what you're saying now, Josh. But again, just looking back at the experience for me. Um, it was that dread. I mean, yeah, even with, even with those scenes, um, that you're talking about, and then there's one specifically on the stairs. I I know, um, with, uh, that's the other one I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then being, being, um, you know, alone and, but, and, and you saw that set up a little bit, you know, obviously you, once you saw that set up, you're like, okay, well, this is all, this is going to play in. I didn't know how it was going to play in. Um, and then when it did, I was kind of like, oh, no, you know, yeah. that the, the moment that it did. Um, check out the nail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was caught up in it. I, I, I really was. So I didn't I didn't pick up on any of that. Maybe a second viewing will. But for me, um, I was just I was just into it from start to finish. And um, uh, I kind of liked looking back on it now. I kind of liked that. Yeah. building on of the tension and and uh just how it how it just how it was not letting up for a, for a long period of time there. I I think for me Dave both of my viewing experiences were as you described here but also what was really weird to me and this never happens to me you guys upon seeing it a second time even though I knew what was going to happen it actually made it scarier for me because I was dreading it even more and I couldn't believe That's- it's funny, it, and it, I think a lot of that goes back to the building of the characters, mm-hmm. and then that you like this family and you care about this family because that was the experience I had with the Devil's Candy. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing what's going to happen, you yeah. you're, you're sitting there going, "I don't want this to happen," right? And and it becomes it becomes more difficult because you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the experience I had with the Devil's Candy, and I think that really does lend itself to the performances. And just the way that that um, the, the, this this family unit has been built. John Krasinski has talked about that a lot. He's, I guess, not a horror fan or wasn't a horror fan before beginning this project. And so he was drawn to it by the premise and by the characters and his whole approach um, was he's talked about a lot of like Jaws. The, the thing that makes you interested in Jaws is not necessarily the shark, which you don't see for most of the film, but it's these people and what they're going through. And he wanted to bring that element to the film. And I think that was really smart. And I think, you know, that's, I think he's talked about becoming a horror fan since making the film or in preparation for making the film. He's now a big horror fan, but mm-hmm. you know, I think as he probably knows now, that is the hallmark of any really truly timeless, great horror film is that that has characters that you care about beyond just the blood and gut stuff. Well said, Josh. And in fact, I got to back you 100% there because honestly, I think it was 
and Dave alluded to this too, you care so much about these characters. Like, and you know what? I think part of that, like the family was believable. I mean, obviously John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, they're married in real life and they're married in the film and, and they have um, little kids in real life. And, and so I'm sure what we were seeing was a, 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 an echo of like, like their close family relationship, but it was so uh, plausible and relatable and their performances, even the children's performances were all very convincing. I mean, I think this is high level horror cinema performance here. And I mean, across the board. Yeah. I wouldn't even say even the children. I would say particularly the children. I, yeah. I felt like yeah. Noah Jupe was maybe the strongest actor in the movie. <laughs> I, yeah. I was pretty impressed by him. Yeah, I love I love him. Fantastic. Um, I was gonna tell you guys something funny. So I have um and, and I'm gonna defend myself here in a minute. I have harassed and annoyed people so much to see this movie that <laughs> that there are people at work that like if they see me coming, like they'll kind of go a different way. <laughs> Because they know I'm well, going to ask. Why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because of this. Well, I'm sure it's this movie. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. the only reason. But no, honestly, like I, I am like bugging so many people about seeing this. And, and as you've said, you know, I, I have been overhyping, I'm afraid. But, but the thing is, I bet you because of me harassing people, I bet you I've had like 12 to 15 people go see it. And I just want to say this. Every single one of those people loved it. In fact, for the second screening, the reason I went twice is because I forced my wife to go. And anybody who listens to this show knows that my wife hates horror movies. She's I, I got to give her a lot of credit for that. Because <laughs> if you were able to convince her to go, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's, that's pretty impressive. She's not I a... did the exact same thing. You you did my too. My wife is also not a horror fan. That's and, why I went the second time. Oh, awesome! Watch it. Okay, so did your so my I just want to tell you, Josh. My wife loved this, and she's not a horror fan, y'all. So that was amazing. What? How did how did your wife feel about it, Josh? She claims she didn't like it, but <laughs> I know she emotionally connected to it. She doesn't enjoy the horror experience, so that's the thing that's hard to kind of parse with her like i've i've shown her only f- like five horror movies in the last two years mm-hmm. and she's seen a lot of other ones and i think actually a lot of her hate for horror comes from walking in on me in the room watching pig-headed horror movies or what have you <laughs> <laughs> but you know she's like i'm like i have to watch another child's play movie tonight and she's like you know but um that's so I why think she that hates of, me <laughs> just where a lot of her distaste for horror comes from but the only films I've actually shown her in the past couple of years are uh, It Follows, Get Out, The Final Girls, A Cure for Wellness, and this. I believe that's it. What about The Babadook? She, Didn't you show uh, her? I don't know if she's, I don't think she's seen The Babadook. I don't remember, but that was before the kind of time period I'm thinking of. Okay. Because it was the first time when she saw It Follows and The Final Girls. That was the first time she was like, I loved those movies, you mm, know, mm. and I hadn't heard ever heard her say that following a horror film before. And wow. so, um, and so I was kind of curious about that going after this one. I'm like, you liked it. And she's like, well, no, I didn't enjoy myself. I'm like, well, I, you were emotionally connected to it because you were bawling your eyes out at least twice during the film. I mean, she was, <laughs> a mess, Aww. you know, and I'm an easy mm. cry. Like I'll cry <laughs> at a Kleenex commercial, you know, but yeah. she doesn't cry for anything. And she was 
just completely beside herself uh, two occasions during the film. So. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I th- in my opinion, she enjoyed it. <laughs> she right. doesn't like the feeling of that experience. But to me, that's, you know, she re- definitely was emotionally invested. in. It. Yeah, that's fair. What about and you? I would like to, I, I definitely would like to take my wife and kids to see it. Now, my wife is, even though she's not a horror fan, she's more open to it. I mean, she will sit there and she'll watch certain type of movies. Like she loves ghost movies. She get is petrified of slasher films. Absolutely petrified of any slasher film. I remember with the burning, I think I've said this before. She walked out of the room saying this movie's evil and just walked out of the room on it. <laughs> um, but I would like her to see this. I think she'd like it, but I'd like the, my kids to see it. Now, unlike, unlike you two gentlemen, my kids are practically adults now. I mean, I'm talking like 21 and 18, but they, and they don't like horror movies. All right. They just, they don't. I mean, they, uh, I was watching a pig headed horror movie and <laughs> they made it through about 45 seconds until something pretty creepy happened. And then they walked out. Um, you know, it happened to be coming down the steps at the same time, but I would like them to come see, to take them to see this movie too, because I think they would really enjoy the experience. That would be a tougher sell for me though. But my wife is a little, like I said, a little more open. I mean, she sat there uh, in when we had the screening of better watch out and she enjoyed that and mm-hmm. sat through tremors and, didn't have a problem with yeah. them. You Rachel know? also slept in her watch out. Though. Thank you. That's also and, true. And um, yeah. And your wife loved Happy Death Day along with me too, right, Dave? Uh, <laughs> Just uh, sure. This sure. is good. Well, now, I mean, it's funny because she she I think she did enjoy it a little bit more until she heard us. She was she was wandering around the table. What's something that people don't realize is my wife was wandering around the table as we were doing uh, our live podcast in the back of the theater. Uh, to discuss happy death day so mm. i think we might have changed her opinion because i think that she was a little maybe a little embarrassed that she liked it <laughs> I, sh- I should t- i should tell her that that we took more flack for not liking it that's yeah, right than, than, uh, than anybody took for liking it but i think what we've identified here is that a quiet place is a very mainstream horror film like as horror films go it's one that's very accessible to a mainstream audience i guess is what i'm more trying to say Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it's one of those that like some of the films we saw last year i think we could see this is even a potential awards contender because we have a-list actors and we have a film that people won't get too freaked out by going to see and we have a film that people are going to argue isn't a horror film which is Super annoying and ridiculous, but it's already happening. Oh, yeah. So it's going to be a long, long year ahead of us. But um. yeah, I can't believe those arguments, by the way. Side note, just want to say that like I, I Carl has said it on Movie Podcast Weekly. Are you serious? Carl, Carl thinks it's not a horror movie. And my wife said, my, my wife said, yeah, it really doesn't. It's really not a horror movie. And I'm like, oh, you know, I had to like, you know. Ref- restrain myself in both instances. I'm so I'm so wow. annoyed that Carl said it wasn't a horror movie. I know. Go what after a, him. What an imbecile! <laughs> <laughs> Get him. No, we've had we've had a lot of uh, listeners talking about this on Twitter. I noticed a few people talking about it. Jake Parker, whose short film we mentioned mm-hmm. on the previous episode, um, had a pretty good tweet about it. Where is this tweet I'm looking for right now? Thank you. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what Jake Parker. I like Jake. He he 
he uh, recommended Revenge to me today, and I cannot wait to see that because I think Jake and I line up I a lot that. of times yeah. taste wise. So. I saw that. I'm I'd like to. I'm looking forward to checking that out myself. Yeah, it's on the list. Jake. Says, Jake says apparently, if you're a mainstream audience member or critic and you see a horror film and enjoy it, you have to classify it as a different genre. <laughs> that was kind of. <laughs> I mean, that is that's just what we've seen, you know. And mm-hmm. we, yeah. we Lee Wanell, the co-writer of Saw is probably what he's best known for star and co-writer of Saw. Mm-hmm. He was talking about this on Twitter as well. The other day, uh, kind of upset that people are calling saying that a quiet place isn't a horror film. It's just, I don't know. I guess horror just has that bad a reputation. Um, you know, that mm-hmm. the people can't feel okay about having enjoyed a, a horror film, but it's crazy. So Matt Barone, who, is uh, the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival senior programmer, and he's a programmer at Tribeca and, and a writer. He says, friends don't let friends pay attention to any ridiculous A Quiet Place Isn't Horror takes, which I thought was pretty <laughs> funny. Yeah. And uh, Chris Evelyngista, who is a, on the staff at Slash Film, among other places, Ebert Voices, Nerdist, Sci-Fi Wire, he says, remember when The Witch wasn't really horror? Remember when Get Out wasn't really horror? Remember when It wasn't really horror? And Lee Wanell says, agreed. The worst is when even the filmmakers back away from that dirty, dirty horror label. You made a great horror film. Own it. You didn't make a psychological thriller or a drama that happens to be scary. A drama that happens to be scary is called a horror film. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well said. I love that. Yeah, and and to speak to what you said about it being mainstream, now I I just I want to skim over this lightly. I don't want to dive too deeply into this because we've got a themed episode coming up sometime on this very topic. But the fact that it is PG thirteen, um, you know, and this is one example of a a PG thirteen horror film that I think is both effective and scary, and I think that PG thirteen rating opens it up to obviously a lot more attendees of different ages. So I would, I would agree. And I think that if you were to, I don't, I don't know that you, this is one that it, it would have ma- almost been a shame to try to make it R. you know, I, I think they did it really, really well, mm-hmm. you know, uh, by keeping it where they did. And I applaud it for that. I mean, I know we've had the discussions in the past about PG 13 and R but in this case, you didn't want it. It didn't need to go any further than it did. I don't. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I just would agree with you guys. I I think it's not just that it's passable to mainstream audiences. I think it's also that the themes of the film appeal to mainstream audiences because it's about family. It's about these relationships. It's about these characters, and so I think. I mean, one of the reasons I think it would be a shame for it to not be seen by or to not be PG-13 is that younger people can't go and see it as easily. You know, I think Mm -hmm. this is a movie that has a lot to say about the bond between teens and parents and, and how sometimes, you know, the communication that you wish was there isn't there. And I think that's a powerful kind of message in the film. And And, I think even without, yeah, without communicating, that's the thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and also what one thing we haven't really touched on is is the um, uh, the the daughter who is actually uh, well, she's deaf in, in real life, but also plays a deaf character. And you would think that maybe it'd be a little easier for her to deal in this world of silence, 
but there are some scenes that are just harrowing where you're thinking, God, that something's happening and she can't hear anything. And, and it could, this could be really, really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, so I liked how they, they kind of turned that one around as well. Mm Mm-hmm. I wanted to read just two more tweets really quick while I'm doing it because um, I have Twitter up. Love it. End of Dave's, who's a listener at, at End of Dave's on, I, on Twitter. I love him. He said, A Quiet Place delivered so strongly, a must-see in the movie theater, a word of advice, learn how to not breathe or make a sound for 90 minutes. This is the part that I love that he said. I'm actually exhausted after leaving the theater, <laughs> which I think <laughs> is a great quote. Yeah, and this one's also this is from Eric D. Snyder. Uh, Jay, I saw that you retweeted this, mm-hmm. and it speaks to kind of what we're talking about. He said, "A Quiet Place is tense, well-crafted suspense, efficient and clean, just about perfect for an all audiences horror movie. It's not gory or shocking or miserable, but not lacking in elements hardcore horror buffs love." And I think that describes kind of a little bit of what we're talking about. You know, it's it's a film that's not a miserable experience, but it is. Right constantly full of dread mm-hmm. nailed he he nailed it i love the way you described that and, and also um mm-hmm. this is a movie jay that i know you probably love because I, I don't know if you were saving this for spoilers or not but it really is sort of a beastly freaks yes film as well and, and in fact that's where i was going when i was talking about um the friends and the people i annoy and the reason i i, I this is this hits this touches all my buttons I mean, it's Beastly Freaks, it's survival horror, it's children in peril, and it's a siege narrative. I mean, it has like, all like that's basically all my favorite elements in horror, right? It's like all those things in one film. So, yes, well said, Dave, exactly. And um, I, I was very pleased with the Beastly Freaks and the creature design and so forth. Now, when I saw this the first time... Um, right after I saw Ready Player One, and it was like back-to-back double feature, you know? (laughs) And honestly, I could not get my head in the game for Ready Player One. And here's what's fascinating to me. Ready Player One's like two hours, 20 minutes, something like that. The, The second I walked out of that movie, which was fine, it was an okay movie, not horror, but it was fine. It did have a lot of horror stuff in it, though, I will say. But anyways, when I walked out of it, um, <laughs> the first thing I thought of immediately was, was a, a quiet place. And then, and then, so th- this was lasting for hours and I was really quiet. And when I got home, you, like one of the magnets fell off my refrigerator and it freaked me out. Like I was trying to be so quiet in my house and I couldn't believe that it affected me to that degree. And that's the other thing that I think is just something I'd like to praise about it is just that if you have a film and, and I'm sure they didn't necessarily design it for this reason, but a film that can actually make an obnoxious theater audience sh- shut up. I mean, that's incredible. What an accomplishment. Yeah. So I agree. Now, um, what about this? So I, I can't believe, I mean, if you would have asked me, I, I'm a huge fan of the American office. It's one of my favorite things. And um, my wife and I, like our marriage is, in many ways built upon the office. Like (laughs) that's one of our um, favorite things that we share together next to our kids, you know? And so of course I love John Krasinski, but as, as much as, as many hours as I've watched him as his Jim Halpert character, I actually didn't see Jim on the screen. I, which really shocked me. I don't know if you guys felt that separation, but I, I saw him as this father of this family and not Jim, and that really impressed me. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he did a great job. I think I've seen him in some other stuff that's helped me forget Jim, like Promised Land, which I think he's fantastic in. Mm-hmm. But he was completely invested in this world. And and obviously there's a difference in his hair and he's got a beard and he's dressed like, a, I mean, the whole movie looks like it's straight out of Pottery Barn. It's like <laughs> the most beautifully production designed film you'll ever see and costumed. Almost borderline too much, like borderline. It looks a little bit too gorgeous, but, and actually that's just another one of my minor complaints about the film. It's almost too perfect. It's almost too film school 101, like everything's so perfect. It doesn't have, I think it could have felt a little more dangerous had it not felt so perfect. Like Hmm. um, one of my favorite cinematographers of all time, Harris Savitas He's he's like clearly one of the most talented people ever, but he puts the camera in places you would just wouldn't ever think to put it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and I think that makes you uneasy. It makes you feel a little bit weird. Um, Roger Deakins, you know, he, the way he uses light and handheld, it's it feels so alive. And I didn't feel that quite as much with this film. It felt perfectly articulated, like perfectly composed and pulled off. And and so for a first time, I guess it's not technically his first film. First film I've heard of <laughs> definitely his first horror film. Right. It's an incredible achievement because it's just so well done and on a technical level, but I did feel it just kind of lacked a little bit of a, I don't know, a raw emotional energy for me in that, in that way. But mm-hmm. I'm getting sidetracked. Um, no, I, yeah, I'm, I, I think, I'm glad you're, you, I'm glad you have some constructive criticism for it since I'm raving and gushing so much. So please, Continue. <laughs> no, I mean, I think he did a fantastic job. You know, one a couple of our listeners have had some serious criticisms of this film that I've seen on Twitter. And, uh, you know, they, I've seen it compared a couple of times to It Comes at Night. And I think It Comes at Night is a good example of what I'm talking about. That's another film that's beautifully costumed, gorgeous production design, very similar setting, amazingly shot. But it feels a little bit more alive to me than this movie. And in the sense that it feels like it's like really unfolding. This feels like perfectly crafted cinema. And there's a difference, I guess, between those two approaches. Um, I guess I'll, I'll might as well read those listeners comments as well, since we have been yeah. reading it. We, we have these two listeners who are a couple in St. Louis, Missouri. It's Amanda Williams and Paisley. And they both wrote tweets, I guess. So it's short, very shortly worded criticisms of the film. <laughs> right. But Paisley said, you know, it comes tonight, plays with similar things, but has a much deeper feel. A Quiet Place was good, but I felt absolutely zero emotion from that story, which I thought was interesting. I, and I, that wasn't my experience. I did, We did have another listener who doesn't have kids and said, yeah, I could see why if you had children, this might be mm-hmm. emotionally impactful. But for me, it didn't have any resonance. And so I am wondering if without that connection, if it does lose quite a lot, I mean, it can't help because it, it can't help but lose something because that was definitely one of the major things that I was feeling from the film. Right. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up. Cause this is one of the things I wanted to discuss is, is it scary yeah. for non parents? And um, one time David Chen on the Slash Filmcast for for many years, like he would get really ticked off at parents who would respond to his reviews of films and say, "Well, Dave, yeah, you feel this way now, but you just don't understand because you're not a parent yet." And and he would always say, 
I can intellectually understand what what it might be like to have a child and to care for that child. And I and I think that's fair. I think what David Chen said there is is accurate. But yeah, mm, for for to, to some extent, <laughs> no, I mean to some extent, I mean people could intellectually understand it's like, okay, well, I love my sister or I love my mom and yeah. dad. I love my family members, blah blah blah. But yeah, when you're a parent, there is this this level where you would die for that person, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, it rattled. But it, is, it, it is a singular feeling. I mean, I've had a dog that I really loved that's died. Mm-hmm. I've had family members. My grandfather, who was the closest thing I've had to a dad, has passed away. And those were both emotionally wrenching experiences for me. But they don't. I mean, even that, it's you can't. It's not comparable to a child. Right. It's just not. And and it's hard to. There's no way to articulate that that just doesn't sound redundant and and stupid to someone who doesn't have kids or who doesn't care right but it's just true it's just a different type of human interaction that you can only experience in that way well that was part of the reason this movie shook me so much on a couple different levels and in a couple different moments which we, we could talk about in spoilers but i i said on twitter i mean it rattled my dad cage like like the we have this like inherent like I've heard moms refer to it as their mama bear instinct or, you know, I, I have a version of that. I call it the dad lion. I refer to myself as that. <laughs> Believe me, I never ever referred myself as a lion any other time. Whatever, guys. dude. <laughs> well, maybe sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyways, like, you know, it, it it awakened within me that that dad lion response where I felt like a ferocious, like I felt so protective so I do think in answer to this question, is it scary for non-parents? Um, maybe, but not nearly as scary, I think, as it would be for parents. That's where I come down on it. Amanda and Paisley also just made a point, which I thought was interesting to discuss. Although I disagree with them, they were kind of saying, is it responsible to bring a child into this world? And they said, you know, not only the world of this film, but our world that we're living in now, kind of as an extension of that, if we know all of these horrors are going on. And that's something I talked with my wife about, because her and her friend, when I was describing the film to them, they were sitting there saying, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even want to live in a post-apocalyptic world. I'd rather be dead than live in and try to survive in this post-apocalyptic world. And so you definitely wonder, I mean, I I thought when I first saw that Emily Blunt was pregnant, I kind of hate them a little bit. You kind of say, what are you doing? You're putting, not only are you bringing this child into such a difficult situation, but you're also risking the lives of everyone else in your family. Right. (laughs) You know, right. In the situation, it's, it's, it's rough. You know, the, the position that they find themselves in. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I, I disagree. I, I agree. So I, I in, tend to agree with them within the context of the film. I, I don't disagree. I disagree with them in the context of our world, unless you want to just talk overpopulation or whatever. Obviously there are concerns there, but, um, but I think there's this fallacy that people talk about, like, this is the worst. This is the most evil the world's ever been. And I just don't, I don't believe that. I think this is one of the best times to ever be alive. If you're, a black person if you're a woman there have been much much worse times to be alive in, on on the earth and i think having to bring a child into the world during the medieval era is much more dangerous than bringing a child into the world now in most places of the world so i mean at least certainly from the very comfortable position we're sitting in in, mm-hmm. in the developed world um 
So I, I just kind of reject that a little bit, unless again, we're talking overpopulation or whatever, but I, but I think if we're thinking about this post-apocalyptic situation, yeah, it is scary to think what kind of future are we, are we giving these kids if we bring them into it? And in the case of this film, are we dooming our entire family to death if we bring a child into this world? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I get, I, I know when I hear people say that, like I, my heart goes out to them cause I'm like, yep, that's legit. I mean, those are legitimate concerns. But uh, so, Dave, real quick though, I wanted well, to. What hear, do you think? Do, do I? Yeah, I mean, um, that's something my wife and I actually, you know, within our own family, we only have two kids. Well, before I got married, I planned on four kids, and so one of the things that we talked about, you know, like I mean, for me personally, um, like my health problems, I seem to pass those on my heart problems to my kids, mm. and so that was yeah. one one reason. But the other reason is like we we do feel like wow, this is a a perilous, evil world, and um and yeah, it did give us some pause. It, it gave us some hesitation. We we wrestle with that a lot. So that's that's a great question. Um, Dave, where do you weigh in on all this parent stuff? Like, is this movie scary for non-parents? I mean, what do you say about all this discussion we're having? It's it's hard to to put myself in that um, position now because it's it's been not quite half my life, but darn near half my life I've been a parent. Um, so it's it's hard to remember back then. I'm trying to equate it to other horror movies. Um, to see if it's something that, um, but then I remember even as a kid, what got me about poltergeist was the family and how these parents were, were fighting for their kids and fighting to keep their kids safe. And even as a child, that sort of resonated with me. So I don't know that you have to have kids to connect. Um, I'm sure it does make it more intense when you do have kids, especially if you have children, of. Uh, of the age of the, the characters in the film and to put yourself in that situation, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I think I, but I don't know that it's a hundred percent necessary to, to have children to yeah. get it. Cause like I said, I was a child when I saw poltergeist and I still connected with it on that level of the parents and what they're doing for the kids. And that's what really got me about that movie. Even then, mm -hmm. um, and 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 I sort of relive that with that movie each time I see it. Um, would I have had the same effect of The Devil's Candy or, um, you know, A Quiet Place if I had seen them prior to having kids? I don't know. Um, but I just know that it's not always 100% necessary. At least it wasn't for me. Yeah. Well, John Krasinski, I, I read in an interview that he said that, you know, one of the um, ideas of inspiration that they were going for is something that terrifies him as a parent, which is, you know, will will the things that I teach them, that I teach my kids, be enough? Like, is it going to be enough once they are out on their own or I'm no longer, um, you know, parenting them or overseeing their everyday life? Like, will they be able to take care of themselves or take care of one another? And and I, I love that. I mean, this conjured... Um, uh, seriously, a whole list of my most potent and poignant parental fears. I didn't mean to do alliteration there, but I did. But anyways, like it, it, I think there's, I don't think there's a probably a parent out there that doesn't share that. I mean, I, I mean, I feel the same way, and um, you wonder about that, and you're saying, hey, you know, when when they're out there, and 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 
driving and, and doing all this other stuff. And they're finally in the business world and everything. And you're like, okay, is this, um, did I prepare them for that? I mean, there's only so much you can do, but by the same token, you can always beat yourself up for maybe you didn't do this. Maybe you didn't do that. Or you don't think you did it well enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's always, that's always there. The funny thing about that in the film is like, he seems pretty confident. The kids know what to do. You know, he kind of, yeah. he seems to feel confident yeah. that he's, he's definitely like taught them everything, but then there's right. major things, major survival things that he could have taught them that he's only taught them literally that earlier that day. <laughs> That's like, right. might've right. been useful to know yesterday, you know? Right. Like, well, over the last 474 days that this has been going on. I mean, in that character's defense though, I mean, I do think that, that some of the confidence that he exudes is for his wife's benefit, maybe. I mean, I think he secretly sure. is worried a little more than maybe he shows on the surface. Yes. But yes, but no, yes. That's, that's absolutely. Uh, yeah, I agree. So I did think it was interesting the the layout of how this happens. So the first scene takes place on day eighty nine, mm-hmm. and then it jumps all the way to day four hundred and seventy two and four hundred and seventy three. Yeah, are the three days that we we see in the movie. I thought those were interesting choices. I felt like eighty nine seemed pretty quick for to get to a post-apocalyptic state. And that's fascinating as a choice. And then to go so much further with 472. And then, you know, we do see a scene where he tries to signal to other people who may be out there and and we get a sense that there might be quite a lot nearby him, Mm -hmm. not a lot within the context of the world, but at least a lot for their small community. Right. And you think, wow, it's pretty crazy that that many people have survived this long. And I did wonder if, at least for their family, if the sign language aspect was a big key to the reason they've been able to survive. I mean, right. I think if you didn't have that as a communication tool, totally. I think that's pretty great that that's built into the DNA of the film. They're not putting a deaf person in just as a prop because she can't hear. And they're not putting a deaf person in just for diversity but it actually works within the plot of the story to have this family survive because they can speak sign language to one another. That's fascinating. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I, agree. I, I love that aspect of it. And, um, and I do think to speak to a couple of your points there, like, you know, the, the signaling to uh, other survivors, uh, I do think that um, it, other people, I mean, the more people you get together, the more of a liability it becomes. So I, I also appreciate right. how like, you know, they, they are kind of like their own little um, survival unit. And that's pretty cool. And what was the other thing that you said there? That I wanted to chime in on. It was great. Sorry. My mind um, is about the, about the sign language. Yeah. Let's see. That was man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I lost it. That's such that's a bummer. Okay. But um, I, yeah, I was trying to, Remember, I'll, I'll take better notes while you're talking. Think about it. I I, 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 uh, I have one other thing I wanted to bring up to Dave. Mm-hmm. They replaced Dave's least favorite aspect of the horror film. The cat jump scare has been replaced with a raccoon jump scare, which I thought was a nice. <laughs> yeah, so that was interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, I agree with you. Got a couple of those in the movie. Um, I, I thought yeah. there was some nice mirroring going on in the first half and the second half of the film. I won't say with what, but there's a kind of a truck and shed scene. And I didn't notice it as much the first time I watched it, but watching it the second time, the setup of the truck at the beginning, I thought oh, I really like this as, as kind of a mirrored moment. 
I, the first half of the season. Yeah, I, I totally, I'm with you. And you can only notice that once yeah. you've seen it more than once. And not diss and Dave, yeah. of course. But I'm just saying, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had that same experience you did, Josh. Absolutely. But my very favorite thing about this movie are those details of the world. Because again, I'm just obsessed with the premise. And so uh, to see them pull it off in such an interesting way where they have um, the sand was my favorite thing in the movie. I thought it was brilliant. I won't say anything else about it. It's, it's, it's not a spoiler, but it's just a minor detail. The way that they use sand yes. in the film, just like, yes, I love this. And then also when they're playing the game and there's this, the, the game pieces in the game that they're playing, I just thought, mm-hmm. just so smart. Yeah. So brilliant. So well done. I like that too. I like that those, part. Those are the little details that make me love a filmmaker, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. What about, um, you know how a lot of times in a horror movie, and, and this is so common in horror, this, this thrilled me to pieces. In horror, we get subjective point of view, the perspective of like the killer or, or maybe even the victim who's injured. But in this film, we get subjective sound which is really neat. Like the audio, the sound that we're hearing represents the sound that either, you know, the monsters are hearing or the, the survivors or whoever, like you get subjective sound. And I thought that was super cool as well. Neat stuff. Anyways. I agree. All right. We're at about, uh, you know, 50, (laughs) 53 minutes in to this review. So do you, are you guys ready for the uh, the the wrap up of the non spoiler portion, and then we could just kind of talk briefly any spoiler I, related? I'm ready. Do you think we need to go into spoilers? I think we've covered quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, maybe not. I, I don't really have anything. Okay. Well, no, that's fine. I, I agree because I, I I feel like we um we got to talk about everything that we at least I wanted to talk about. It sounds like you guys did we wanted too. To, and we we incorporated any possible spoilers in without actually spoiling anything so i think we i think that's pretty good well it feels good to be pros no i'm just kidding (laughs) we're such pros anyways hey now that we've hit we've hit episode what 148 i think we finally got the formula oh yeah (laughs) finally (laughs) all right so uh let's move into our uh ratings and final thoughts so um it sounded like josh liked it the least no i'm just kidding no but josh you want to start off (laughs) I'm totally kidding. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. I just thought it was, I think some of it was a little on the nose, but it was done beautifully. So it's hard to complain about that. Like there was these gorgeous shots that the cinematographer pulled off these camera moves that would reveal things, but it just felt, I don't know, a little overdone or like the music had one of my very favorite songs of all time from Neil Young is in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's the perfect usage of it, but the lyrics yeah. are literally like exactly what's happening in the scene. It just is. It's just I don't know. There was a lot of it that felt a little on the nose, and I wonder if it wouldn't have happened if the filmmaker had made a couple more movies or not. Maybe that's just to what he's what he's into, and that's cool too. I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't love the reveal of the threat to the antagonists. I don't like, I, there were, I liked part of how they looked a lot, which reminded me of if the Xenomorph from alien was mixed with venom from the Spider-Man cartoons. You Mm -hmm. know, I I thought this would look great, but then there were just CGI things that I didn't love about it. I also read that that was not the original monster that they replaced. It was CGI in post. 
and it wasn't what they had on set, I guess. So I'm hmm. curious. I would love to see a photograph or drawing someday of what they originally had there. We probably will never get to see that, but or maybe the maybe the DVD will have some uh, have some scenes or something. I love it when it's just showing it with you know the face uh, with when it's not moving, but when it moves, it has just. I'm just so sick of like the Cloverfield, Super Eight, Stranger Things. Every monster has to look the same and do the same kind of thing. It looks very Demogorgon like in <laughs> in in the film when it when it attacks, and it's just a bummer. But there was one scene with the antagonist that had to do with water, where it goes underwater. And I've never seen a scarier shot than of that thing going under the water. I just thought that was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. That looked so scary. Um, I agree. I, I, I love, I loved a lot about this movie. I liked it as a parent. Um, you know, I think there are a couple of moments that I think were just, they were fine horror scenes and I would have liked them had they been another, any other movie and I enjoyed them, but they took away from what I thought was so brilliant about the film, which was having everything refer back to this premise. And um, I would have liked to see those dealt with a little bit stronger. So on my first viewing, I give this an eight out of 10. Um, I've been feeling it kind of creep up a little bit higher as I've been thinking about it and talking about it, but I've also found a lot more nit- things to nitpick in that time. Um, I, my second screening was even better than my first. So I, I'm probably landing it at 8.5 out of 10 now. And um, I, I could see it going up as I think about it more. You, you never know. But the performances were fantastic. I think uh, maybe the writing was some of the weakest stuff, but it was good and um, nicely shot. All of the technical aspects were on point. And um, it's a great idea for a horror movie. And John Krasinski has even hinted that he has an idea for a sequel. I'm 100% in. I want, let's see the sequel. Wow. I'm, I'm ready for it. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was a great, great film. And I would definitely recommend people see it in the theater. I had a fantastic viewing experience in the theater twice, both with packed audiences. The second time I saw it with Rachel, we saw it on a Sunday in Provo, Utah. So I thought we're going to get in here and have the place to ourselves. And we had to sit on the front row. <laughs> so uh-huh. I mean, it was it was packed and um, just a great, great viewing experiences. Both times I, I would tell people to see it in the theater if you can, and I'm going to buy it for sure afterward. Okay. 8.5, see in the theater and buy it. All right. What do you say, Dr. Shock? Um, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I love this movie when I saw it uh, earlier today. I absolutely loved it. Uh, everything about it. Um, the, the, there's just the, the driving sense of dread and how it just does not let up for a long period of time. Um, I, and I especially did like the performances and I agree. I think the kids were tremendous in the movie. Uh, plus the way that the, they, they built this world and they built this family. I thought, uh, you know, you, you had this sort of grand view of it, and then you had the very personal view, and I thought they did a great job with both of those. Um, I'm going to give it a 9.5, uh, and I'm not saying it wouldn't go up, but I'm going to have to see it a few more times. Um, and I really would like to take my wife to see it as well. Um, I'm actually off. I have a day off this this coming weekend, and I was just trying to think of 
how I can convince her because I made the mistake of telling her early that they're also showing the 40th anniversary of Greece uh, as a Fathom event. Oh, boy. Um, and <laughs> I'm trying to think of how I can maybe talk her out of that one and into, uh, into seeing A Quiet Place with me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Can I, can I make one more comment? I just was looking through my notes and I found yeah. this. This had to do with the monster. Rachel said this to me the second we walked out of the movie theater, which I thought was hilarious. She said, this is a quote. So all monsters look like that in every movie now. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, (laughs) I can see why I can see what she's saying. Like there are some similarities and monsters we've seen of late as you've described, but like, yeah, I personally, I was pretty satisfied with the creature design for the most part. I, I bet you, Josh, the same things that bugged you about the CGI are some of the yeah. things that kind of bug me a little bit too, but uh, yeah. yeah, alas. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they had some awesome elements too, that were again, specific to this story. And now it's the stuff that I thought worked the best in my opinion. Oh, totally. I agree with that. Okay. So Dave says 9.5, see it in the theater, buy it. Okay. So for me, I, I do want to say as much as I've ra- raved about this, it's not absolutely perfect to me. I mean, there are a couple of complaints that I have that are nitpicky, but they also are kind of in the spoiler realm. So I, I won't go into it. And it's not because I don't want to say anything negative, but it, it's just like uh, the more I've wrestled with it, it's like, yeah, it's okay. I mean, I think it would be hard to pull off that kind of moment. Like, um, like, yeah, I can't even get into it, but I just, it's not perfect but it is still um, pretty much as close as a movie can get to perfect for me. This is a 10 out of 10. I was horrified. It, it hit all my buttons. And I say, see it in the theater, buy it, and then rub it on your nipples. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I was playing. We're ruining the, this is like the and one nice thing that we had going in this, in this episode. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's keep the nipples out of it. <laughs> Okay, I've got a couple more comments from our listeners that I had pulled up because there are some interesting thoughts on the film. This one's from Mark DeMont, and I had kind of referenced this earlier, but I didn't have his comment in front of me. Mm -hmm. He says, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, but you probably need to be a parent to be really into it. The who are we if we can't protect them is really the heart of this movie, and it was kind of too much for me and unnecessary. Direction is fantastic. The two kids, amazing nine out of 10. So he's still giving it a nine out of 10, but didn't really connect to the emotional heart of the film. And, and see that line right there. I'm just going to throw this out since, since we've quoted it explicitly here, that line in the film destroys me because honestly I have irrational fears of, of things particularly where it pertains to protecting my kids and keeping them safe i and and it's because of my background and stuff you know i just i worry about terrible things happening out of the clear blue sky because i've experienced that and so like i have that fear every single day and it and in many ways it is an irrational fear and so um when they said that it destroyed me in in, in the film and and she puts a lot of pressure on her husband in the film too. And, and I, I obviously it's a mother and father, you know, it's the parents, but it's all, it's their role to protect the children. But, you know, uh, traditionally speaking, maybe like, maybe this is old fashioned, but I do feel like as the father of the family, like that's one of my primary roles is to keep my kids safe and be a protector and so forth. 
obviously my wife protects too, but I'm just saying. And so like that just dismantled me emotionally. So anyways, just wanted to throw that out there. No, I you know, I thought it was interesting. Um, Anna Dreadful uh, says, Jordan Peele, John Krasinski, let's encourage more comedians to direct horror movies, shall we? <laughs> it seems to be the perfect recipe. Maybe because they are exploring a different zone, they're more creative and not so influenced by the horror movie cliches. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I I love. The, I know you're not into comedy necessarily. That's correct, but I think she's saying that these comedians have some sort of way to tap into this, and I think that's really neat because um, with co- a couple of things about that, comedians do have this weird intuition about emotion, especially where it pertains to timing, and timing is a very important part of like delivering a horror film and helping to scare the audience, and I think it also ties into um, their emotions and so forth. So that's that was a very interesting comment to me, and I, I'd like to see more exploration of that. Although I will say one thing, I do think, having said that, A Quiet Place is, in many ways, by the book. I mean, it's, it's a conventional horror film in a lot of ways, which isn't a complaint because I'm, I love genre, I love knowing what to expect and getting the stuff that I love. So I I don't think that this is super outside the box, but I do think it is creative, as she said. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was saying about it being kind of on the nose, I guess, at a couple of times. It just felt very by the book to me. Shane the Maniac Cop said on Twitter, my wife and I went and watched A Quiet Place today in our local cinema. This film was incredible. John Krasinski created an absolute masterpiece. It had amazing jump scares, incredible tension, a fantastic story, which I'm grudgingly, grudgingly admitting made me tear up. Everything about this film worked. What I was most impressed with is the atmosphere, which the theater audience was infected with. I was nervous to breathe loud. I could absolutely feel the tension in the audience. It was unlike anything I have ever experienced. I can't say enough about this film from its awesome monster design to its emotional story. It's phenomenal. 10 out of 10, an instant classic. Mm-hmm. So Shane, Shane liked it. Shane, <laughs> I, I loved what you said there. And and what his comments reminded me of another film that was pretty recent that I loved, which was Don't Breathe. And what's interesting about that film is it also conjures some of this fear to like be quiet. I remember holding my breath during Don't Breathe, which was, I thought was really cool since that's the title. But mm-hmm. it's still, even that film didn't affect me on that level as much as this one did. And lastly, I'll just read this clever comment from Ryan Terry, who I believe is a screenwriting teacher in Florida. He shared a photograph or a gift from uh, Sunset Boulevard. And it says, regarding A Quiet Place, Norman Desmond sums up the excellence of impeccable and terrifying visual storytelling. Quote, we didn't need dialogue. We had faces. So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> nice. Very smart comments. Did you, did you see, did you see um, uh, Jeff Hammer's response? To no. It's, yeah. It's the, responding just to Jay, just to Jay's initial post before you added the pictures to it, Josh. Yes. Says, not, not, not since No Escape has a horror film rattled Jay's dad cage so hard. And, 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 <laughs> and here's the thing. I want to say to Jeff Hammer, number one, that was 100% on the money, and I almost tweeted exactly. <laughs> no, I, I'm being I'm being Jeff, so I hope Jeff hears this. Jeff, 100%, that is verbatim, word for word, I'm not lying. I almost tweeted that, but I thought, you know what? 
I got a lot of crap over uh, No Escape, and a lot of horror fans in the community didn't love that movie as much as I did. So since I'm, I really want to promote and sell A Quiet Place, that is not the way to do it. So I refrained. But when he wrote that, I died laughing. I loved it. <laughs> Very good. That's so funny. Okay. Well, that's our review of A Quiet Place. And I hope the listeners will let us know what you think. And I just want to apologize on one hand for overhyping it if you feel that's what I did for you. But on the other hand, as I said to Josh during our little break we were on a minute ago, if love in a quiet place is wrong, <laughs> I don't want to be right. All right. <laughs> okay, so before we wrap up this mega awesome episode. <laughs> just Totally tubular. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> psych. I just want to tell you two quick notes. Horror adjacent films or films that would be of interest to horror fans. If you want to hear, um, we're not going to review it now because um, it's too late and we're tired. <laughs> but if you want to hear about Midnighters, I reviewed that film over on Movie Podcast Weekly. And it's, you know, approaching the, the horror realm there. And then there's a, a new film that a lot of people are raving about that I caught that I, I really loved. It's It's very dark, very violent. It's got like organ harvesting in it and stuff it's it's called low life and it's really more of a dark comedy crime film so yeah, i saw that yeah so i dig it but i i think maybe the horror community might dig it even though it's not horror per se it's but. kind of more like in the pulp fiction reservoir dogs yeah for me i i said it's uh pulp fiction meets napoleon dynamite <laughs> <laughs> it's a pe- that? Well, well, Nacho Libre. <laughs> yeah, that too. It fits all that. Didn't you also talk about a kaiju movie that came out recently on Movie Podcast Weekly? Oh, that we're, not, that we're not going to cover here. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. If you want to see a movie with very few kaiju and mostly robots, uh, yeah, you can hear about that disappointment. So, anyway. <laughs> I thought that that review that you guys did, so I listened to that episode on my late drive back from spring break, and I thought that was the funniest interaction I've ever heard with you and William Rowan <laughs> Jr. Like, that was cracking me up. Thank you. As we're talking about Pacific Rim Uprising. That's great. And what Josh is referring to there is uh, William makes fun of me a lot, basically, and it's it's pretty funny. So is that why? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I love I it. Just thought it was, I just thought it was funny the way he laid out your expectations. <laughs> the film <laughs> I know he's very smart that way and I love it and also, also talked about a movie called Small Town Crime which is not a horror film but is kind of another grimy crime film like Low Life and I ended up buying that I mean I didn't know I, I one of our friends produced that so I was mm-hmm. excited after hearing you guys talk about that I was excited to pick it up and buy it but um, oh cool well yeah. that's great I'm glad to hear it and by the way this is a side note that probably listeners might not care about but but your recommendation about the uh, considering the cinema episode. I'm totally doing that according to your request. So thank you for that, Josh. So as we're closing it out, I promise we're wrapping up. Dave, why don't you tease? So the next episode of Horror Movie Podcast is going to be a Frankensteinian show. But then the one after that is another themed episode and it's Dave's turn. So Dr. Shock, what will be our next theme? It's one that I've been wanting to do for a while and it even touches back on what we discussed in the previous episode with Italian horror. We're going to look at uh, Lucio Fulci's Gates of Hell trilogy. 
Wow. And, and also the recent film, uh, We Are Still Here, which is a, uh, a tribute of sorts to um, to Fulci's, to those films, I think especially The the House by the Cemetery. So, yeah, that's uh, I've been wanting to do that one for a while, and I'm looking forward to it. That is fantastic. That's weird. The director of We Are Still Here is the publicist for Ghost Stories, and so I've been emailing him about Ghost Stories. I wonder nice. if he'll come on, and probably not now that I was a little bit rough on Ghost Stories. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That would, be, that would be awesome, yeah. Yeah, I'd love it. Thank you. That is a great idea, and um, and I, I really dig it, Dave. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. And I, yeah, you have not seen We Are Still Here, I don't believe, so Mm-mm. be interested to get your take on that one. Have have either of you seen the gates of i'm guessing you've seen the gates of hell trilogy or at least some of the movies in there yeah yeah i don't even remember what the titles of them are city. It's city of the living dead the beyond and the house by the cemetery yeah i'm looking forward okay, to if it. we were talking about them in our incidental trilogies episode is this one of the incidental trilogies or not I think we might have thrown it. We might have said that. I'm not sure. More it like might be one of the ones. It might be one that we. It might be one that we had talked about. Yeah, as part of that. But it's one I've been look. I've been wanting to get to for a while. So I figured yeah. now that I had the theme episode, we might as well see if we can yeah. push it up to the front. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. Well, that just about wraps up episode 144, Pig-Headed Horror, here on Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening, and I thank my buddies here for participating with me. Wolfman Josh, why don't you let the listeners know where they can catch up with uh, more of your work on the internet? UniversalMonstersCast.com, MovieStreamCast.com. Find me on social media at Icarus Arts. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm most active in terms of audience interaction on Twitter. I do posts on Instagram a lot, but it's not like necessarily horror-related. So mm-hmm. uh, get in touch with me anywhere there that you like. And um, remember to leave your reviews on iTunes, and we will be drawing for those Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Get Out Blu-rays thanks to our good friend Shane the Maniac. Mm-hmm. And if you retweet this episode a bunch, <laughs> or at least help us promote this episode, you could win a pig mask. Or oh. you can choose to make Jay wear the pig mask in public <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yes. Or he'll send you a Miss Piggy puppet. <laughs> that's Ooh. right. That's, that's right. Exactly. Or he'll lay down in bed with you wearing a pig mask. (laughs) I don't think my wife would permit that. But you on the arm. That's right. (laughs) Or give you a Blu-ray of your favorite pig-headed horror movie to rub on your nipples. I'm just kidding. I'm just. I'm just kidding. Jeez. Goodness. Tough crowd. So anyway, it wasn't already a like a. The one bright light we had for this episode. I love it. I love it. All right. So, uh, Doc Shock, why don't you let the listeners know where they can catch up with you? All right. uh, DVDinfatuation.com. Closing it on the end. At DVD Infatuation on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. But like Josh, I'm on Twitter much more. I do have the Letterboxd account as well. And as far as podcasts, also on the Universal Monsters cast and the We Deal and Lead uh, Western podcast. Nice. Very well done. Wonderful if we could dedicate this episode to our Polish listener, Marcin Krolik, who says, you make me believe the horror can be meaningful and say something <laughs> crucial about yes. the world around us. Yes. He's become very active on Twitter recently, Marcin. It's great. Thank you. But hopefully, well, um, you. hopefully you'll get the same feeling. <laughs> 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> wait, don't sh- wait, wait around for a few episodes after the pig-headed horror, and then uh, before you judge us too harsh. Well, and do me a favor, like in all in all seriousness, I am just genuinely curious. If you liked this as a horror topic, let us know that too. I I would be interested in hearing. Just saying. Well, I will say this, Jay. Every single person who's interacted with us about this episode, now they haven't heard it yet, but when they heard that we were doing it, has <laughs> right. been positive. Okay. okay. Everybody was excited. Maybe oh. not Red Cap Jack. He might have been a little more. Uh, he, he was skeptical. Hesitant, but everyone else. Everyone He's else. A skeptical was. fellow. That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, and I deserve it. (laughs) Yeah, he's very smart and he's very familiar with my antics, so I can understand why he would be skeptical. Speaking of antics, I hope you'll check out uh, my crew over on uh, moviepodcastweekly.com. We have a good time. It's very silly. And then I also have a little tiny solo cast that I'm (laughs) working on called ConsideringTheCinema.com. It's about film criticism and nerdy stuff like that. It's real short form. Good times. So you can leave your comments about this episode in the show notes there. We'd love to hear from you. You can also email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. We have a voicemail at 801-382-8789. And you can find all our episodes, all 144 of them, and the episodes that belong to the weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis. Those are at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes, leave us a review, and we also love it if you follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast and on Instagram. We want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for this podcast theme song. You'll find Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And we want to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his reworking of Fred's theme. Very cool. You can hear Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. Those will be linked in the show notes. And I think that's it for episode 144. We thank you for listening. So join us again Friday after next for another Frankensteinian episode of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about pig-headed horror movies. One going. Speaking of pigs, I understand you have um, at least one, maybe two, pig-related stories for us, just for fun, just to kick it off. Yeah, they go back to when I, I worked for a uniform manufacturing company that manufactured medical uniforms. Uh, and I was in the um, the production slash merchandising end of it. With nurses' uniforms, you usually see like the, the green, the light blue, the white. They're the standard colors that you see. Mm-hmm. But we also had, you know, prints. And the prints became very popular. We had a print that was called Angels. It was designed by the vice president. She she did all the drawings of these things. And what it was, it was animals sort of floating in <laughs> midair with angel wings. All right. It was just sort of this artistic sort of, it was, it was damn bizarre, if you ask me. But right. it sold pretty well. So what we started to do after we had the prints, we were making jackets and tops and everything. We decided to make accessories. Well, someone got the idea to make men's ties. So we did it with three of our prints. And what we do is we'd get 12 yards of fabric sent to this company. They'd print out the pattern, lay it up, cut out the ties and, and send it along. Well, one of the ones we did was this angel print. Now, we found out pretty quickly, though, and we were not we had no familiarity with this at all. We got lucky with two of the prints because they were busy. But with the angel print, it was a pig angel. And then four inches over was a, a horse angel. And five inches above that was a dog angel, you know, so it was it was not it was a blue, dark blue background with little animals scattered all throughout it. When you're talking about a top or a jacket, it's enough coverage, you know, to make it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. But with the ties, it became something of a problem. 
We'd made 200 of them. At least 10 to 15% had the same problem. A solid blue tie with a pig's ass in the corner. (laughs) We had about 30 ties and they became known in the warehouse who thought this was hilarious. They called them the pig butt ties Mm -hmm. and they had to separate them and put them in another box. It was literally just a solid blue tie with a pig's ass and around the other end of it. When you looked on the other side of the tie, there's the front of the pig. But the only thing visible when you're wearing the tie was the pig butt. (laughs) <laughs> you, you know, have one I, for me? Do you have one you I give? never No, I I wish I did. I wish I'd saved one of them. Dang I it. never did actually buy them. I don't think they ever dropped the price low enough. But I thought it was just very interesting. You know, it wasn't even like a horse's head or like a dog's legs. It was a pig's ass. That was the only thing <laughs> they seemed to catch every single time on these ties was a pig's ass. Wow, that's amazing. Well, if any listeners happen to have one of these ties, let me know. I will purchase yeah, they're, it from they're you. Yeah, probably collectors probably Probably collector's items at this point. That's hilarious. (laughs) 